and talking to our friends. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Hellboy Book Club. My name is John Salinas, and I'm here with... Bobby Lovelace. I'm Daniel. And I'm Matt Schreckbein. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Hey! Hey! We're uh, hey. Let's not talk about that. Let's, let's not let's talk, talk about... Let's talk about comics instead of that. Yeah, so this is an all-Hellboy podcast. We're reading all the Hellboy stories, and we're going through them on a custom reading order that was developed by the great Mark Tweedo. And we also interact with all of our listeners, and Danielle's going to tell you all about it. Uh, so we're gonna read a we're gonna read a story and then we're gonna talk about it. No, wait. We tell you what you're gonna read and then we all read it and then you read it also and then you listen to us talk about it and then you talk about it because you sent us email. That's a hey damn guys. And then you we tell you about it next time and then you do it that again and that's friendship. Back to you, John. Thank you. Awesome. Those are always great. <laughs> I want to give a shout out to our good pal Ross Racky. His comic got funded. It did. It. They're gonna oh, make yeah. it. Oh, this is so great. I really needed a, a win like that in my life. Yeah. So I'm so glad that that thing got funded. Congratulations. Congratulations, Ross. Yeah. And Matt is also gonna be featured in that comic too. So Heck I can't yeah. wait to see what you do. That's awesome. You can still back it too. I backed it last night. He posted something like, "Somebody get me over three thousand dollars." He was at. Two thousand nine hundred ninety nine. Uh, and I was like, oh, wow. oh, I was like, oh, I haven't backed it yet. Oh. Like it just oh. slipped my mind. So I just went ahead and did it and put him over the limit. Awesome. That's great. I love that it's a win for you. <laughs> well, yeah, why wouldn't it be? Yeah. That of is course. so see, this is friendship. That's awesome. Yeah, no, I feel like, you know, I've never actually met Ross or talked to him, but I talk to him all the time online and we've even private messaged each other and shared music, and I just feel like He's a friend of mine that yeah. got something. And then also, like, I contributed to the, just like Aubrey, I contributed to the level that I'm going to be one of the spectators in the comic. And so I am I know that I'm going to be in there. Maybe he'll put me in that Abe sweater. And I'm just excited. <laughs> I'm just excited for him. Yeah, that's really good. It's a really good thing. It's exciting, especially in, you know, these dark, uncertain times yeah. when... You can still celebrate something like my friend's making a comic book. It's you know, yeah. congrats. He's being a successful artist, and that's you know, you gotta you gotta support that. You gotta yeah. support your friends. Really you gotta support good. your artist friends. Yeah, it's fucking awesome. Yeah, I'm glad that we were all able to support that. I also want to give a shout out to Gabriel Armeza on Twitter. Um, there was some thread where they were asking about podcast recommendations for comic books, and he said Hellboy Book Club is one hell of a listen. And he shared a really oh, cool nice. gift, too. So thank you so much. Thank I you. Yeah, man. And I also want to mention, I was talking to Ryan Yule on Facebook. He's another book club member that I talk to all the time. And he's using this version of Facebook beta for Chrome. And he's having, on, on that version, you, you can't see the about section or okay. something like that. All right. And so anyway, if anyone's using that version and you want to check out the links to all of our cool resources that all the other book club members have contributed to, you might have to go to like the mobile or desktop version. And so I don't know. I, I guess it's a beta version for a reason. You Hopefully know, I, they're... I, I have to get into the desktop version of Facebook constantly all the time for just little nonsense reasons. Little bullshit. Yeah. Little bullshit, barely there reasons that 
I'm so fresh. I'm just like, fuck it. I'm just going to do it. And so it's one of those, it's just little things. Yeah. Little detail things that you can't utilize on the mobile. So I'm not surprised. So right. everyone, so just check in every once in a while in general on the <laughs> desktop because there's stuff there that you won't even realize. You're like, oh shit. Yeah. There's this, this thing that I could do. Anyway. But yeah. if you're using like the Apple app version, that one's fine. I mean, you know. I'm, no, it's not. Well, uh, you can get to our link. Oh, for is this what thing. I'm saying. For that yeah, it is. For what yeah. I'm talking about. But for other just general stuff. I'm telling you, yeah. the desktop version is just every once in a while, just check in there. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Aside from I that, hate that, yeah, it's ridiculous. All right, and now we're going to go on to our listener feedback section. Hey, you damn guys from Brian Levy. Hey, damn guys. He said, what a crazy, sad, and scary new world we live in now, huh? I'll just let you know that being in New York during this is bizarre and not a lot of fun, but I'm well. My fiance is well. Our families are doing fine. So far, so good. That's good. One of the bonuses of being a big nerd is that social distancing is almost one of my skills. (laughs) It's it's hard not to see friends, but when you've amassed the comics and video game collection that folks like us have amassed, it's actually pretty tolerable. Aww. <laughs> I've been reading, I've been catching up on so many comics uh, lately. That's true, you have. Um, Brian Levy, book club member. He says, not to be someone who can only relate to real world events by referencing pop culture, but man, oh man, am I having a hard time not thinking about the abandoned New York of Reign of the Black Flame. Oh, wow. And to a lesser extent, end of days when I step out for groceries. Oh, man. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah. 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 Well, I'm glad that everyone you know is well and not sick. Yeah. That's really good. And it's good to hear from you too, man. Yeah. He also said, so check this out. A couple of months ago for library school, I had to put together a lib guide, which is an online resource for bibliographic references. The subjects I chose for my lib guide was the occult. And I actually wound up doing really well in the project and wanted to share the final project with y'all and maybe learn you a thing or two about Western esotericism. It's not directly Hellboy related, but Hellboy was my gateway into actually learning about the occult back in high school. So it's kind of related. The guide essentially tells the abridged story of occultism from the mysticism of antiquity to the modern era's tarot cards and astrology apps. I'm pretty proud of it, and it was a fun distraction with a bunch of good sources. Lots of links to badly designed late 90s websites about spells and stuff. Feel free to share if you want to. Yeah, so he linked that to me, and so I'm definitely going to be sharing that on our social media. He also said, anyway, I truly hope all my fellow book club members are coping with our new status quo. Remember, it's okay to be mad and disappointed and scared and sad, but just hold on to the fact that there's an end in sight. It'll be a while, but it will pass eventually. My thoughts are with everyone who is sick or at risk, anyone who's lost work, and anyone whose friends or loved ones are dealing with the virus. Be good to each other and yourselves. And Jesus Christ, follow Mignola on Instagram. Have you seen those Ultraman drawings? He has been drawing yeah. so much stuff. I'm friends with him on Facebook, and uh, you know, I'm looking at all this stuff. He's, I mean, he's churning it out several it's times so a awesome, day. I don't yeah. know how he's doing yeah, it, that, but it's, it's incredible. Yeah, it's amazing stuff. I keep hoping he's gonna like say okay now here's all the batman characters you know <laughs> oh yeah and then we can 
<laughs> and then we could take those and assemble them into panels and make like retrofit a Batman comic out of it. That would be awesome. So yeah. Awesome. I'm tired of Batman. I want something else. I, no. Give me something <laughs> else. Batman. No more Batman. All Batman all the time. I'm done with Batman. I'm uh, sitting behind this giant Mondo <laughs> poster that was released for the 80th anniversary of Batman. And it's the Gotham by Gaslight cover. And it's a giant screen print, and I just love it so much. Yeah, it's so. a really good print. I actually framed that myself. Yeah, you did. Thank and you for doing it, that. I was just kind of your framing comes up in the listener feedback. Oh, later. does it really? <laughs> I'm just saying because I, I, so I was able to take like a really close look at it and, yeah. and handle it, admire it up close, and it's a really good screen print. I mean, yeah. it's real good. It's massive too. Yeah. So I also love the Mignola Batman stuff. I mean, I'm not saying I don't. I've just like you know, okay, it's been done. Like move. On. Okay. something more interesting something else we can it's like if you have a chance to imagine a scenario where he's drawn whatever the fuck surely we can come up with something besides i've really batman. been uh, i've really been enjoying these giant monsters that are just screaming their names yeah it's great that's super <laughs> so good it's been really good that's fantastic yeah there's some really good ones out there though there was this mummy one today that just blew me away i really liked it but my favorites so far have been those skeleton cowboys. Yeah. I really hope that those go up for auction. I would love to get a shot at those. Not that I could afford it, but I would just like to, that oh, uh, yeah, no, if those went sure. out there and I had a chance to at least pretend that I could own it. So I always <laughs> love when he draws a, a bird that is sent, like with there's a word bubble with just a little musical note. Yeah. In it. Uh, we've talked about that before. He drew a Godzilla with one of those yeah. musical notes. <laughs> Oh, Daniel, good. I was just about to bring that one that up, too. So that was my, uh, one of my favorites. Yeah, that was, that was my fave. I think the Flintstones was truly inspired. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that was cool. But the Ultraman, and I think he said he never watched Ultraman. Right. He did but, say that, yeah. I mean, it's just evidence that he can do any comic that he wanted. He can do anything. Was like, do an Ultraman. Yeah. He could just do it. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like, I'd so like good. to yeah. see him do some far out there, just wild stuff that, like, just out of left field stuff like like he's doing. I mean, he's yeah. doing that like the Godzilla's and the whatever. I want to see Silver Surfer and Galactus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I've been on this big Silver Surfer cool. kick lately. Yeah. yeah. Do you think you could predict what he'll do next? No. No way. I don't think so. Is because... there a pattern forming? Well, yet? well, okay. So today, a Dracula. He, today, maybe. yeah. Today he drew a mummy. So I'm thinking maybe like the Universal monsters sure. might be coming next. I don't know. By the time this uh, this show comes the out, we'll, we'll already the, know. But not the swamp thing. What's his name? The, the creature of the Black Lagoon. Yeah, Thank yeah. You. There you go. Cool. Be super good. Okay. Indiana Jones and shit. What do you think? Star Wars. Oh wow! Oh, that'd be cool. Because <laughs> he's doing sci-fi and monsters back right. and forth. Sure, Come on, he's got to do some aliens. But like the that, weird, right? obscure stuff you're talking about, like oh, the in the. You know, he's done the xenomorphs too, so maybe oh, yeah. like stuff like that would be awesome. Well, stuff from like the when they're in the. Oh, that'd uh, be sweet. It's, you'll never see another. It's a the hive of scum and villainy. It's in oh, the, the bar. Cantina. The can't yeah, yeah. They're in there. All those guys. They're playing the instruments and shit. That would be cool. Yeah. yeah. Oh, that'd be so awesome. I've just I've never seen him do Chewbacca. No, or exactly. Yoda or yeah. He'd be great at it. Fingers really crossed. Just want to see him draw absolutely everything. I know we don't have that much time, but he's got a lot of spare time on his hands. So yeah. I'm very excited that he's churning out all these cool sketches. When people can go back out again. There's just going to be like Instagram feeds of tattoos of all of this stuff. I guarantee. Yeah. Oh yeah, I guarantee big time. You. Oh, yeah. People are already yeah. picking which ones they're going to get. I'm tattoos dreaming of. up all the tattoos <laughs> I want. And you know, back to the you Brian know, Levy. Yeah, Brian Levy, book club, book club member. member. <laughs> he uh, he's saying, you know, there's an. It's okay that you're feeling bad. There's an insight. 
I have been trying to balance what I'm upset about against, well, it could be worse. The fact that none of my loved ones are sick right now. And, you know, none of my friends and family are are actually sick. Like people are dying. People are really sick. And so I'm, every time I get upset or sad or think about what I've lost, I think about there's a lot I could still lose. So I have to be grateful for what I do have. And I I have to think about the people who are really dealing with some bullshit. So that's something that I'm trying to keep in mind. So I don't think people give communities enough credit. I think communities are going to come together a lot more than people think they are. Yeah. And I'm I'm thankful every day for our community here. So many uh, listeners have been reaching out to me and just talking to me and just just shooting the shit about stuff. So uh, keep tagging us on social media and sending us messages. If you want to do like a, a house party or a Zoom or a Skype or a whatever. Oh, that would be fun. You know, I've, we I've, should arrange something like that. I have downloaded so many fucking apps since this whole shit started up, which I'm grateful that I have friends and family who want to fucking talk to me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll like, be up for that. Live and in we person. We can figure it out. We can, yeah. we can hang out like that somehow. We'll figure that out. My um, family, we've been using the Zoom. Okay. Yeah, I've got all of them. I've got yeah. every single one that people are using. I just download it all. Yeah, that would be cool. That yeah. sounds like a fun time. Yeah, so we'll do that. We got a hey you damn guys and gal from Efren Navarro. All right. He said, first of all, I really hope you're healthy and safe. Same for your families and friends. Aww. I see that you keep pumping out episodes, so I guess all rights with y'all. Yeah. I finally got to the episodes where my listening feedback is featured. The friendship is real. Aww. Yeah, so I think awesome. when he I think when he messaged us last time, he was on episode thirty. Wow. And we were like yeah. I, I don't even remember where we were. It was like eighty some or seventy something. <laughs> But he says, uh, for me, it felt like I read some books, then I searched for some friends to talk about them. I found the podcast and sent a Hey You Damn Guys. Then I listened to 78 episodes. And then finally, friendship. (laughs) Then finally, friendship. Oh, my God. He says, I'm currently halfway through episode 78. First time reading Rise of the Black Flame, I have to say my first impression was that I thought it was an unnecessary prequel, but I'm finding a new appreciation for the story as I listen to you discuss it. I especially love the discussion about Hecate. That's the kind of stuff I'm here for. I'd already thought that the coolest part of the story was the possible connection with the eyes we saw in Sledgehammer, but certainly there's more depth to this. As I said, I'm halfway through the episode. Maybe I end up loving the story. Regarding the Guy Davis's Lobster Johnson series that never was, actually, my first exposure to Davis's work was Sandman Mystery Theater, and that was set in the 1930s. If you've never checked that out, I totally recommend it to you. Some of the best pulp-inspired material out there. And then he also told us how to pronounce his name. So thank you so awesome. much for that. Yeah. It's Ephraim. Remember, Matt, you were like, how do you, because I was saying Ephraim. Oh. Because we don't right. want to mispronounce your yeah, name, yeah. you know, so that's great. Yeah, so thank you so much, um, Efren Navarro. I read that Guy Davis stuff, too, on Sam, man. That was fantastic. Oh, okay. I was um, just going to ask you. That's what I was going to ask you. My introduction to him was Honor Among Punks, the <laughs> complete Baker Street graphic. Oh, um, wow. I've never read that either. Oh, wow. That's dope. And we had some more listener feedback on Kill the Black Flame, Matt's story that we discussed last week. We were talking about the covers. Mark Tweedell said, it just goes to show how iconic those original cover designs are. Yeah, yeah that you can tell them yeah. by the little, the, the, the little yeah. piece that Matt's included in there. Wes Mattis said, so funny. I love these and can always identify with Matt's point of view. 
TechPad nice. Day Sequoia said, he really did capture how we all felt in our obsessions with these books. As Groot, we are Matt. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty good. Yes. Nathaniel Green, he said, Matt really is a treasure. He was kind enough to sign these copies for me when we met at Rose City Comic Con. He made a point to sign proportionate to the size of his contribution. Oh. And so you had signed your name really small on the bottom of those yeah. covers, which I thought was funny. Uh, Nathaniel said, he's a real class act. That motherfucking Matt Strackbine. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Lobster20,000 said, always a joy to get to the end of a comic and find one of these. I love them. And also, Scott Alley left some feedback on Matt's book. Scott Alley. Yeah. It was awesome to hear from Scott Alley. Yeah, Scott Alley. The last time he commented on one of our posts was to show some appreciation over that Roger's butt post. Remember when I made that (laughs) compilation of all of Roger's butts? Anyway, Scott Alley said, We've always loved seeing one artist interpreting a scene drawn by another artist, reusing the composition but putting their spin on it. Always loved doing these strips with Matt. Yay. Very cool. Yeah, that was awesome. Yeah. I can't tell you how fun it was working with him on that stuff. But, you know, putting those side-by-side comparisons together, I've never seen that. I've never even done that. Oh, like, oh wow. <laughs> like, I use them as reference obviously but i never put them side by side like that that was the coolest thing i thought that was so awesome oh great i'm glad you enjoyed (laughs) that and we'll have some more coming up this week too when i shared those pages that mad gifted to us i wanted to get a pic of the comic and the original pages in the same shot and jason abaddon said jason abaddon Beautiful framed art. Perfect display, too. And I said, well, you Aww. you framed it yourself. Well, yeah. thank you. Yeah, so yeah. that was really good. You did a great job there. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, when you, when you see something framed in our house, that's not just like, I didn't just go pick up a frame. I actually work at a frame shop. Yeah. It's super fun. I love doing it. And so, you know, I actually like chop the molding and join the molding and, yeah, yeah. and cut the glass. And I, I cut that mat and I put everything in there and it's... I know it's kind of a nerdy thing to be proud of or to have fun with, but right. it's, it's super fun. No, it's I love, awesome. I yeah. love doing it, yeah. I can um, attest, I've, I've seen these uh, framing jobs up close. Danielle does an amazing <laughs> job. Yeah. Well, I just like working with my hands, so I love working at shops. I mean, I used to love working at shops, but anyway. Uh, side note, check out The American Friend sometime when you want like a weird movie, like an obscure movie to watch. It's, okay. Um. It's Dennis Hopper's first movie out of rehab. Wow. I think it was Vim Vendors directing it. I'm not sure about that. But the other guy in the movie, Hopper's not the main guy. Okay. But the main guy in the movie is a framer. Oh, Oh, neat. I want to check that out. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, and there's more to it than that, but they show him doing some of that stuff. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's super cool. It's fun. People don't, I don't think people realize how fun it's it actually is yeah it's super fun it is true art it's nice too. i'll have to take i try to take pictures of the frame stuff that we have up because danielle also recently framed the omen that we won in the buff raffle oh, cool. and that looks really great too but it's hard to take pictures of framing because of the <laughs> glare and stuff like that yeah and so like half the picture will be me in their reflection holding my phone so let me see if i can get creative and figure just, out a way to take some good pictures i use some some pretty basic modern molding for those but what i really like is finding like the uh the real ornate kind of yeah. antique looking molding and and uh matching that up with some of the artwork we have in the house like some of the mignola stuff it actually looks really good like yeah, mignola yeah. really lends itself 
to oh, yeah. kind of the more ornate molding, I think. We had some feedback on our Oops All Friendship episode from last week. Anung117 said, I hope you all are healthy and safe. Thank you for all you do. Christopher Egan said, This episode is making me talk to my phone. I wish I was in the room with you guys. All these great comic recommendations I agree with. Immortal Hulk, Black Science, House of X, Powers of X, all must-reads. Coincidentally, I wrote up Don't Miss This Piece for Immortal Hulk and Black Science for Multiversity. Friendship. Yeah, so Christopher Egan is a writer also on Multiversity. So I thought that that was so awesome. Super good. Awesome. Clayton Schofield said, Hey, damn guys, I'm sorry I missed the boat on this. Thought I'd share anyways because what the hell, <laughs> what the hell else is there to do? <laughs> I finished watching The Outsider on HBO. Incredible series. Maybe could have been yes. eight episodes instead of ten, but the cast was a true detective season one vibe. Okay. I'm now starting Tiger King. Crazy doc. Hard to watch. I'm reading a few things. I love this collection of Metal Hurlin selected works trade paperback. Has some great names attached to this. Killer Be Killed is going to be a reread, but the first in this hardcover format. I listen to several true crime podcasts. Billy Jensen is a co-host of Murder Squad, halfway through his book Chase Darkness with me. One of the very best crime books recently is I'll Be Gone in the Dark by Michelle McNamara about the Golden State oh. Killer. So that's the oh, Patton wow, yeah. Oswalt's late wife. Yeah, I've wanted to read that. I've heard that it's really good. You were going to say something, Aubrey? I have read the book. It is really good. Oh, okay. Awesome. In the mail, which I plan to handle carefully and isolate a couple days, I have items I can't wait to see. Mignola's sketchbook, Some Drawings, has finally been obtained. Yay! I know what it's like to be searching for one of those sketchbooks and finally get the one you need. Yeah. He said, also waiting for Andromeda or The Long Way Home by Z. Bernay. No idea how I missed this. Stay well, gang. Yeah, and so that Andromeda or Long Way Home by Z. Bernay, he has a pinup by Mignola in his book. And his art looks amazing. If you're not following him on Instagram or Twitter, he's really great. I really want to check out that book as well. We've also been just kind of throwing our mail in a pile in a garage. Yes. <laughs> we just sort of leave it in there for like yeah, a week or so and then, and then open it up. And then it's like, oh, wait, I should have been, I should have opened this up like oh, yeah. a week ago. Oh, shit. <laughs> I have to call the bank. Mark Tweedell said, I've been kept pretty busy. Today's the first time things have actually slowed down a bit. Might read some books. Going to listen to way too much Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. And so I, uh, I know Mark listens to a lot of soundtracks. Just finished Matt Kent and Matt Smith's Folklords and Cullen Bunn, Tyler Crook, and Naomi Franquiz's Tales from Harrow County, Desk Choir. I'm going to do a reread of Marjorie Liu and Santa Takeda's Monstrous, which we have the first trade of that, and that's an awesome series as well. I'm about to start Fables and The Wicked and the Divine. Also going to start a reread of Asterix from the beginning. I gotta agree with Hayden Orr. Juji Ito is a must-read. Uzumaki is a masterpiece. At some point, we need to dive into the Outerverse. And so they have given a name to all these other Mignola books like Baltimore and Joe Gollum. And now they're going to add Lady Baltimore. They're calling it the Outerverse. Nice. And so I was telling Mark... Man, you're going to have to do another reading order for us. And then he already did it. He already, <laughs> he already did sent it. it to me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, enjoy Fables, Mark. That's a really good read. Yeah, I know you were really into that title. That's fun. It's good. 
Techbat Day Sequoia said, Hey, you damn guys, just finished episode 86 while at work. It's been a great help to have my podcast book club friends keeping me company during the late shifts. Thank you so much. I always get a thrill to hear my name and my words come out of your mouth. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, man, it's good to hear from you. He said, you were asking for theme songs for the characters and two immediately popped into my head. Go Into the Water by Death Clock for Abe. Are you familiar with that one? That's the, uh, yeah, there was a there was a, a cartoon show called Metalocalypse. Okay. Are you familiar with that song? Uh, yeah. And it's, uh, <laughs> you know, some of that show was funny and some of that show was just way too... If I could watch an edited version where they didn't chop anyone up. Okay. <laughs> I It's, you know, it's kind of funny. Like, because that is where we get this guy. We do the band practice sometimes. We go, you know, we do this. Say that his name is Squizgar. He's the he's a guitar player. I was in the uh, 47 bands. One, <laughs> one was named uh, Cheese Dick. One is named uh, Murder, Murder Death Car. One this name, you know, and he goes on. I mean, yeah. It's it's bits like that where like the band bits are funny. Yeah, yeah. Where they talk about how it's what it's like being in a band. The stuff where they murder people okay. was a little much for me. <laughs> and uh, so, but yeah, they have the songs were actually good. Okay, I need to check that. The out. The songs were good. Like it was a goofy show. I only got through a couple of the episodes just because it was whatever. But the band stuff was funny. Okay, yeah. I have to check that song out. And he also said, Queens, you're my best friend for Roger. Aww. That's a good one. <laughs> that is good. said ps now that the black flame is dead i'm switching my battle cry from kill the black flame to long live roger all right yeah there you go that's what i did nice that's perfect <laughs> I like it we also had a discussion about the genre of the hellboy comics mark tweedell said as for the genre i think of the hellboy line as epic fantasy it travels through many many genres but I think this one describes the overall shape best. Epic fantasy is a good, yeah, that's a good I like name that. for it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, that's good. We had a discussion also about what was that thing in Johan's notebook that was crawling out of the ground in Malines. Jason Abaddon said, maybe it's Roger's brother. He could have been doing a test run with Tallow back then and taken an allied bomb before oozing back into that crater. And so I thought that was a good guess. Ross Radke said, possibly an Enkelidite mutant. And I really like that idea, too, because we talked about those mutants that came out of the Enkelidite portal. I had to, of course, go research, and the first atomic test wasn't until July of 45, and that thing says December of 44. Mm. And Ross Radke said... That we know of, That's though. what he said. That we know of. Ross Radke said that's the first test that we know of. Ah, could have uh. been, yeah. But I really want to shout out Juan Olivia on Instagram he came through big time. He sent me this message on Instagram that said, Guys, check out the Plague of Frog Omnibus 2 sketchbook. So he sent me a screen grab, and then I also sent this to Aubrey and Matt. And so you actually, there's a picture of the monster wow. in the back, and it's actually named, what does it say? Kalski. Kalski, yeah. 
And so there's a part of the sketchbook in the back of the Plague of Frog 2 omnibus where Guy Davis, he's drawing all the different characters that I guess are going to appear later. Maybe he had to do this when he did The Dead for that sketchbook section because there's little, there's character models for the Crimson Lotus, the Steel Hawk. And all those other characters that we see, the old version of the Black Flame is in there too. And then this guy, Kowski. And in there, it describes him as a golem. Yeah. So Jason Abaddon was pretty spot on yeah. with his guess that he was a golem. I don't think he was Roger's brother, but I thought that was so interesting. And um, so I sent that to Aubrey and Matt. What did you guys think about those designs? Oh, man, it is super interesting and exciting. Yeah, right two seconds before we started recording this, I thought to myself, wait a minute. What year is this, right? And it's 44, isn't it? Yes. As far as we know, we haven't gotten to this point in the story yet. So I was like, all right, well, let's go back from there. And I immediately thought of Lobster Johnson. And the Lobster's last story was Hunt Castle, which is after 44. I'm pretty sure. So this is where normally if I wasn't going to record a podcast, I'd go grab all these comics and start comparing dates and figure this out. But I think... (laughs) I think the last lobster story we get is 1939. Yes, Hunt Castle 39. Yeah, Hunt Castle was 39. Hmm. So it wasn't. It wasn't him. Because I I started thinking maybe that's Lobster Johnson's story. Yeah, because there we did hear about that that Guy Davis was going to do a lobster story down the line. So yeah, I wonder if it had anything to do with that. I don't know. It's so interesting. Just because the Steel Hawk is also in the scrapbook. They show him in custody, and I was like, oh, well, we just saw a story that Guy Davis drew that was Black Goddess, where Harry... Yes, Harry had that flashback. Yeah. And then he's telling it again in in the actual Lobster Johnson series, and anyway. Right. See, your mind starts to go crazy, and then you look at all these dates, and you're like, oh, okay, that's nothing. Or you're like, well, maybe this is the next lobster story art yeah now that we have that new piece of information i would love to know what our listeners think about that too where was this character going to be placed or what series was it going to show up in did he have anything to do with the lobster or not but yeah i really like all those theories it says kalski was based on one of john arcudi's favorite sculptors Stanislav Sosalski. And so I mentioned him when we did Hollow Earth because he uh, was very influential on the designs of those proto-humans and all their headgear and stuff like that. At first, we were designing him as a homunculus like Roger, except evil. Later, we turned down the homunculus idea and made him a golem statue that would come to life as a distorted stone creature. And so there are two versions of this Kalski character um, but he's exactly the, the monster that's coming out of the ground in Malines, And he also has like a little port on him like Roger, but it has a swastika on it. Yeah, and so I just like knowing that we know what all these things are now. Like now we can say like, yeah. oh, I, we know what all of these things are from the scrapbook. So anyway, even though um, there's still some mystery about this character and how they were going to potentially use him, or maybe they'll still use him in the future. I just like knowing that we know who it is and what we can call it. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Yeah, so thank you so much for that, Juan Olivia. That was so awesome. I can't believe we missed that. But anyway, that's why it's a book club. Friendship. <laughs> there was one thing I wanted to mention about some back and forth that Mark and I had. Mark sent me a DM last week. Okay. <laughs> and it turns out, anybody can look this up. 
he and Scott Alley, Mark Tweedale and Scott Alley made a customized uh, Google map for Hell on Earth. Wow. What? That's I, awesome. Yeah, I really wish I had thought of this earlier or, you know, when we were talking about BPRD headquarters and all that and the possible locations. He sent this to me and said, BPRD headquarters, does this seem accurate to you? And he and Scott had worked out uh, a marker in Colorado for where the headquarters is. What? And yeah. And so then I was like, oh, ugh, I should have thought of this, you know? And he said <laughs> that when they were making it, Scott like relocated it to a certain point. Now uh. there are other places he was very specific about. And I think there's a filter where you can like follow Abe's journey wow. around the U S like after he escaped the headquarters. But, uh, um, and like where all the Ogdru ham are, you yeah. know, it's, it's super cool. There are some very specific points that Scott wanted on the map, which later came up in the comics. Okay. So Mark, Mark thinks, you know, he wanted the headquarters to be there. And so I was looking at it. So I, I like my original guess that it was Long's Peak for a right. number of reasons. Right. And I was going on with Mark about this. And then it was so funny. He goes, always try to remind myself it's a parallel reality. Like saying, hey, Matt, this isn't real. Yeah. You know, because <laughs> I was like, no matter where it is, you would have hikers around there most of the year. Like, you know, just walking by. Right. And there's nothing like about a headquarters. And, and that's when he was like, hey, man, this isn't real, you know. <laughs> but here's the thing. Um, I think based on this marker on that custom Google map, we can assign a particular mountain peak to it. Okay. Um, okay. In the, in the comics, they're like growing a vegetable garden up there. And there are trees nearby. And so this is at what they call the timber line. At a certain elevation, trees just don't grow, okay. right? And and there's right. not enough oxygen for you to, like, grow stuff. And so, you know, Mark and I were talking about some more recent issues from the comics that, that show this a little bit more clearly. But we know from the stuff we've read that there are no trees growing, but there are trees and vegetation and whatnot, like, nearby. Hmm. And so that happens in the Colorado timberline is between 10 and 12,000 feet above sea level. According to this marker, there is a nearby peak that's over 13,000 feet. Ah. If, so the peak itself begins at like 10,003 or something like that. So that's the tree line. That's it. And then it tops out at 13,2 or something, 13,200 feet. And so wow. that would be like the perfect scenario for this headquarters right can i just say mountain, I, I love this yeah <laughs> yeah and so that this. mountain is that mountain is called mount audubon oh and okay just it nice. is just south of where long's peak is it's really close you know you could drive there in in no time at all nice um, it is it is part of a national park so people would be all over the place but whatever for several months out of the year it would be blocked because of snowpack right Right. So at, at that elevation. So anyway, I thought it was really cool. It's about 20 miles northwest, more west than northwest of Boulder, Colorado, which they mentioned in the comic. Yeah. And that marker would put it right next to that mountain. And just based on the visuals of trees and then no trees in the comics, we can estimate where it would be above Timberline. And so Mount Audubon is the perfect peak. Awesome. For BPRD oh, wow. headquarters. I love that. That is so great. What is this Google Maps that you mentioned? You said anyone can look it up? 
he put it on the message boards or something. I think it was mentioned in the letter column. Oh, okay. So maybe, yeah, maybe we can put a link to that up on our little resources page on so Facebook. So it's got BPRD headquarters, Zinco headquarters, SSS headquarters, Agathar, the Ural Mountains, oh, Memnon's nice. home, Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra hideout. Uh, I want to know where all these home. things are. Yeah, that's great. Abe's journey. Nice. So, I want to look at all that. Yeah. I'm just so upset that I didn't remember this. Because <laughs> awesome. it was all, you know, this is like canon. It's all been in the comic or was introduced into the comic afterwards. Yeah. That is so great. Mark Tweedale continues to be like <laughs> the go-to. Yeah. Even he, and th this time it was like in reverse. Like he reached out to me. Right. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> makes it so much easier to have like the source come to you i just love the idea too of you and him having like a back and forth private message about all this stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> it was awesome and my favorite parts where he reminded me it's all fiction yeah <laughs> this is great thank you so much for sharing that that's awesome yeah, right on. i just found the map <laughs> oh nice oh, right okay you just googled yeah, it or what cool Google Maps, Hellenaris BPRD, and it came. It's the first thing that came right. Oh, up. Nice. nice. Okay. Okay. Excellent. All right, and now we're going to go on to our book club episode for the week. And this week we're starting off with another Matt Strachbein comic. Matt Strachbein. We're going to be talking about Vavara, that evil little Russian girl. This was published in the back of BPRD Hell on Earth issue one forty four in August of twenty sixteen. Story, art, colors, and letters by our favorite Black Flame hating letter hack, Matt the Longmont <laughs> Kid Strackbine. Yes. Woo! Awesome. And edited by Scott Alley. Um, before we dig into the story, Matt, how did this second project come along? So you told us last on the last episode about the reception to Kill the Black Flame. Scott Alley said that him and Mike loved it. You also mentioned that it got some good reception in the letter column pretty immediately. And so how did this next project come along? Okay, this was awesome because I had just quit my job by like a week <laughs> <laughs> and decided to go freelance. And I was like, well, good luck out there, kid, you know, to myself. And he emailed me. He didn't know that. He's basically giving me options. He's like, hey, man, here's like a few characters you could do another two pager about if you want it. And it's real casual. That's awesome. And uh, that that clued me in that these characters were going to be coming up in story arc. Yeah, oh, nice. And, oh. um, you know, and sometimes it would be like Harry from the Lobster's crew or, or like the mob boss from the Lobster or something like that. Right. Oh. Like, yeah, those would be awesome. I would love to do those. But then he's like, or you could do Vavara. And I was like, uh, obviously, that's the one <laughs> yeah. I'm going to yeah. do. So in my reply, I said, I want to do the evil little Russian girl. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. That'll, I'll just make that the name. But right. um, yeah, that's how it came up. And, and that's how they all came up after that, after the first one. That's oh, great. cool. Excellent. Nice. I really like how this starts off because in Kill the Black Flame, we started off with your hands holding the comic book issue. And then on this one, it kind of starts the same way too. We see Matt reading BPRD 1946 issue two. I remember thinking, of course, there's an evil little Russian girl in a BPRD comic. And there she was asking people to hold her dolly. What the Matt says <laughs> as he sees her. <laughs> 
So she could kill stuff with her bare hands. Oh, sure, I'm worried about how easily I adjust to disturbing content, but now and then, weird becomes too intriguing to ignore. Like Vavara, the former Russian Special Science Services director. And so we see Matt reading that issue. There's the cover again right there. And he says, these guys are twisted. I like it. <laughs> and I like how you're just in a crowd of people. Like, do you regularly do that? Just walk through a crowd of people with a comic book open? When I was a kid, I used to get money for comic books. My mom was the Avon lady. Do you know what that is? Oh, yeah. wow. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, I would take catalogs of little books with perfume samples in bags for her and hang them on her customer doors, like, around the neighborhood. Jeez. And I would make my way, I would like end my route at 7-Eleven where they had this badass spinner rack full of like the best comics coming out in 1987. Wow. Or nice. Nice. So my mom would give me enough money to do that so that I could buy some comics on the way home. This one comics were like 75 cents a piece. Mm -hmm. And yeah, you know, olden times. <laughs> uh, not a, Not everyone had a microwave. You know, right, this is right. like back in the day. So then I would read the comics on the way home. And of course I was walking. So I learned to walk and read. So then walking became my preferred and still is my preferred means of travel for short distances. So I would walk and read all over my hometown. Wow. And like <laughs> books awesome. or comics and stuff like that. And people are always like, man, I saw you like reading, walking over the bridge. And <laughs> don't step out in the traffic. But anyway, so then I had a comic shop in my town for a while i do again now i'm looking forward to summer when i can walk back and forth to it right but so i was walking to and from the comic shop reading a nice lot. <laughs> That's and so great. anyway i just nice. wanted to and that was like the personal touch this time around was yeah just some of that she's a demon in the form of a little girl trapped in a jar a jar the new SS director, a soggy zombie named Yosef, keeps her locked up. Soggy zombie. Uh, I love the way you draw Yosef in this first panel. That look on his face, he's all like, the way he's mocking you know, Bavara. Yeah. I like the, the way you sum things up so succinctly. Yeah. He's a soggy zombie. <laughs> yeah. Moving on. And he's and we see Yosef, he's taunting her with the little dolly. And the little dolly looks like Vivara, which I like. Did she had a doll like that, right? Yeah, she really did ask someone to hold her doll. Yeah, I remember that. That first one. He's saying cute little Katia. Then I remember her name was Katia, right? And he's like taunting her with it. But so this is one thing you realize when you draw this character, and we'll see this as we start reading Come at the Hour. See how his head moves independently of the helmet? Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. It's important to show him moving in his suit. Right. And, and you'll see, like, other artists do it. And it's just something that I noticed when I was looking at all the possible reference. I was like, oh, cool. He moves in his suit. Like, it wasn't something I noticed until I really looked closely and drew it myself. Yeah. But, what know, a subtle like, tilted. Yeah. 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 What is he saying again in Russian in the little word bubble? Cute little Katya. Oh, okay. That's awesome. I probably screwed that up, and I kind of like getting the translation wrong because that's like something that happens all the time. Yeah, in comic books. <laughs> yeah, just feels like a, kind of like a spaghetti western, I guess. But um, I put that in the script, and no one changed it. No one asked me if it was accurate. I guess I thought you did your homework, right? <laughs> but you know how you can translate individual words, or you can translate a whole phrase. Like I, I don't even know which one I did. So who knows if right. that's accurate or not. <laughs> and Yosef keeps her locked up. He sort of owed her one. 
The BPRD is the American equivalent of the SSS, so Vavara crossed paths with the Bureau a few times. And we see that scene from Abe Sapien, The Abyssal Plane, where Abe runs into Yosef for the first time and he's like not in the suit yet and his skin is all falling off. Abe is saying, geez, I thought I had prune skin. <laughs> So <laughs> I was looking at the uh, I was looking at the abyssal plane, and there is a panel that's almost exactly like this. So it's so funny when Yosef comes out of the water and they're all freaking out. There's a panel where Abe just looks at him, and there's no dialogue, yeah. but it looks almost exactly like this that's panel. Great. I love how you. I, I like to think like that happened. They just didn't show it. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> And she spent the 40s and 50s hassling Professor Broom. He was a good sport about it, though. <laughs> and so we see Vavara in Professor Broom's office. Professor, we drink vodka. Professor, professor. Oh, okay. Just the one, Broom says. And he's like holding up his finger. Just the one. I really like that. And in the window, we see little Hellboy yeah. chasing Mac the dog. Very cute. And, and so, the ball. And the ball, yes. Very sweet. And so we saw Hellboy playing with Mac, and we also saw Vavar in Broom's office in BPRD 1947, issues four and five. And so I don't think they happened in the same panel, but they could have, because we show they, they keep panning out to Hellboy playing outside. And so I like, again, how you sum everything up, Matt. You know, you're taking stuff that happens across a couple of issues and putting it in one panel, and it, like, immediately puts us back into that story beat mainly just wanted to sneak hellboy into the story somehow yeah. i always resist really cute. drawing hellboy i don't know why it's like i'm doing this one character right who she never comes into contact with hellboy right right so i was like i could probably work hellboy into this or any of these but i don't because i don't know it just doesn't seem right like you said, this was part of the setting and could easily happen in the background. Of yeah, one there of was that t- where they were on that base or whatever. Yeah, and saw, yeah, I remember. In New Mexico. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that was in 1947. And so I actually went back and looked. And between issues four and five, this could have definitely yeah. happened at some point. I really like the way that I really get the sense from reading these pages that we're we're not meant to think obviously that any of this happened as literally as you're putting on the page, but you do such a fantastic job at distilling all of these feelings and ideas. And like you were talking about, John, the the beats of the story, like you do such a good job of distilling all of this into a way that's actually enjoyable. Like I've said this before on the show, I fucking hate recaps, but this is so enjoyable. You do a great job of making that an enjoyable experience. And so I just wanted to yeah, throw that out there. I really me... appreciated these pages. I look forward to these now. I'm excited about these. Yeah, see, I love that. But they, they let me take liberties with it. And I think that's why that That's works. what it, yeah, it shines like, through. Like your your personality is coming through on the page. I've done history comics before and they're two to four pages each. And the script is always like, here's exactly what happened. You know, right. and I was like, okay, it's up to me to make this a little bit more interesting. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> Vavara liked the professor a lot. She liked Broom so much that she made some of his enemies spontaneously combust. And so we see Vivara. Um, she's at that scene at the end of BPRD 1952, issue 5, where she burns that backstabbing ancient Amsel in front of Malcolm Frost. And here she's telling Frost, Now, you are to be leaving my favorite human alone. The only note Scott Alley had for me during the coloring stage was I had 
broom and professor in like almost the exact same colored suit. Yeah. And he said, nah, change one of them. Yeah. Oh, okay. So that people don't think it's the same guy. And I was like, man, that is only, that's the kind of thing an editor thinks of. Right. Yeah. yeah. Super good. Yeah. Well, awesome. he's, he's also, he's note. responsible for like the way that a reader would see it if they had never picked up a book before. Right. And that's exactly. so cool to think about. Okay, what if this is someone's first comic? Are they going to be able to follow this? And so that's, yeah, like you said, like that's his job. Like that's yeah. so cool to think about. You know, um, not to get too off topic, but I listened to this podcast about The Office. It's called Office Ladies. And two, yeah, another one. Two of the actresses from the show are recapping all the episodes and they talk about the continuity editors and how they'll come up and say, when you said this line last time, you had your pen in this hand and then you moved it to this hand. And so you, now you need to do that every single wow. time. And so wow. like that makes me think of like Scott Alley is catching all these things and saying, OK, yeah. well, in the comic, this is how this person looked or, you know, this whatever. Is how they're dressed. Yeah, I like, like that. You, you have to think about these aren't even cast members. This is like art on a page. <laughs> what is this character wearing? What does this character look like? And all this stuff. And so, yeah, like so this Professor Broom's suit has a kind of a cool tone yeah. to it and then this guy's got a warmer tone right to it. And yeah so it's very yeah eventually her own people at the sss imprisoned her who could blame them the little brat had demon-sized tantrums <laughs> and so we see that recap from a cold day in hell where we see that the sss are putting vivara in the jar and i really like in the background i just caught this detail too you have the sss the emblem, bprd yeah. logo yeah in the background it's covered by some word bubbles but you can see it back there i like that detail nice. yeah one of the toughest things for me if i'm lettering somebody else's art no yeah. problem covering it up but when you but have to cover I'm... up any part of your own art yeah, yeah i'm like Ugh, i can't draw everything to be <laughs> yeah free of word balloons but anyway you notice it ryan yule owns these pages by the way oh i was gonna oh, say wow. who owns oh, them. Nice. i was gonna say who owns them because nice. i know you've sold a bunch of them that's great and especially for this upcoming panel don't forget vavara does have a demon inside of her she's one third of a trinity and basically the exact opposite of a cute little girl and i love how you did this matt so it kind of mirrors that scene from 1946 where we see the demon appear behind the little girl version of vavara this panel is so good but all the little arrows that you put on there so it says seventh lord of hell <laughs> real name yamyel commander of six thousand legions in the house of princes friend of the devil bearer of the grand cross of the order of the fly plays with dolls <laughs> <laughs> And there's Katya there, too. Yeah. So it's funny because Friend of the Devil is like, I'm a deadhead. So that's my Grateful oh, Dead reference. Oh, okay. Nice. Um, it's funny because all the stuff that we were saying about Scott being the master of continuity and all that. I wrote out Seventh Lord of Hell, Commander of 6,000 Legions, Bearer of the Grand Cross. And he goes, did we say all that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And I was like, yeah, man. And I had to tell him, like, the exact issues that I got it from. I was like, it's in this comic, really, right? Wow. It's probably 46 or something. But uh, he goes, oh, yeah, I guess we did say all that. And then he said, could you also include the demon's actual name? And I was like, what is it? You you never published that. And he goes, really? And I was like, well, I'll look. And so I looked through. And you can just imagine trying to search that stuff out, right? Oh, yeah, I do that stuff like, all the time. <laughs> like, first thing you do is go online. And if it's not there... Okay, it's probably not in the comic, but where would it be? 
and then you just start reading everything. Yeah. And uh, I was like, yeah, it's not in there, but if you tell me what it is, I'll put it in. And he said, uh, this is the coolest thing to ever happen. Okay. <laughs> he replied, Mike is checking his notes. Ah, oh, nice. wow. Oh. So I was cool. like, what does that mean? Right? Like, <laughs> notepads or did he write it on a napkin? Like, is he back in his home office, like, tearing things apart, looking for them? It's so, it's just so cool, right? Yeah. It's probably and just then, more uh, like, uh, he gets this email, and he's just like, uh, <laughs> and he has to, like, go look yeah. in a bunch of shelves and drawers and stuff, and he's just like, why? Yeah. No, yeah, I mean, he was totally like, oh, I gotta look that up? God, what? Come on, somebody <laughs> no, else No, that's great, though. That's awesome. <laughs> so that's, you had a connection a creative yeah. connection with this person had to help you find some information for this thing that you're doing. That's, that's well, pretty cool. Okay, so then I get another email and it's just the demon's name. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that is oh, so cool. My. Like somebody just, e- the Hellboy guys just emailed me a demon name. Yeah, I know. Right? It's like the scene out of a movie. <laughs> you just get a, you get a, you get an email that's just some name and you're like, ugh, that's yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> But so anyway, this that makes my comic sort of canon because or contributing to ah. canon because that name had never been revealed before. Yes. Oh, I'm so glad awesome. you told that story because I was going to ask you, where did you get that name from? Because I know that that uh, I even checked my notes and I didn't have that. I was like, I don't remember that being familiar. And so yeah, I, I do just want to mention this. I did Wikipedia it as I do all these demon names. Yamiel was the 19th watcher of the 20 leaders of the 2000 fallen angels that are mentioned in an ancient work called the Book of Enoch. And so there nice. is some reference to that Yamiel demon. And that is so cool that you get to like drop another piece of the history in your comic. Yeah, I was really excited about that. And, and between making the comic and having it come out, I think it was like five months or something. And so oh, I was wow. just sitting on that for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> Let's face it. She'll be pissed when and if she gets free. Whatever happens, if it involves little Vivara, it's going to be weird. <laughs> and we see Matt. He's walking through the street again, and he's reading... BPRD Hell on Earth Flesh and Stone issue four. And you're saying, better not let that chick out of that jar. <laughs> like all these other people are looking at you like, what the hell? As you're just walking through the street again, reading your comic. The look on that old man's face, he's all like, what the fuck? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Another great detail is we see Vavara angry in the jar. And there's like a little sticky on it. There's like a little uh-huh. note that says Yosef and a little heart. <laughs> <laughs> And this last panel is the greatest. We see Matt and Vivara. They're sitting on the couch together. Vivara. She's got her handle yeah, of vodka here. And uh, she's reading BPRD 1948 issue four. And Matt is reading Lobster Johnson Get the Lobster issue one, which actually has the Russian bear and devil dwarf wrestlers. So it, there was a Russian connection there, which I thought was interesting. Vivara is saying, comic book is funny. Oh, my professor is in book. <laughs> and Matt's saying, talk about funny. Isn't it ironic that you and Yosef are both stuck in jars? Uh, Duh, like pickled Russians, the little dolly says. Cute. <laughs> so this is interesting how this came about. First of all, Scott had to spoil me that she gets out of the jar before I started, because that hadn't happened yet. Ah, uh. And so I included this last panel as a way of like winking at everybody. Like, I already knew. 
she's out of the job. Awesome. Not that that's important or anything, but you know, a little Easter egg. So, but then the final line in the comic was just me saying, "Isn't it ironic that you and him are both in jars?" And I was like, "I really don't know how to end it." You know, I was like, "I I don't know what to say." So let me think on it for a little bit. And he said, um, "Yeah, okay, take your time." But he goes, "Yeah, it it is funny though. I never thought of that. It's like they're pickled Russians." Uh-huh. And I was like, "Oh, there it is. Nice. So that's great." No, when I went to add it, I was like. Oh, I'll give the line to the doll <laughs> because I already showed her sort of animated a few panels earlier. And so anyway, I don't think anyone's ever attributed dialogue to her doll, but I thought that was That's super cute. A funny, a funny way to end it. Yeah, I really and like I'm, that. And, and I'm holding the doll. That's what I was going to say. I like that detail that you're, <laughs> you have the doll, like almost like, like, uh, I imagine she gave you the doll so she could look at the comic and hold her vodka at the same time. <laughs> like, Oh, I want to read this. Hold this. The first panel on the previous page is talking about her asking someone to hold her doll. And then it's the last panel. So it kind of bookends. Yeah. Somebody doing her bidding. I like all these little details like your striped socks and your couch. (laughs) Is this really your living room? Like, did you recreate your living room? No, this is the fictional version. Okay. (laughs) I mean, it's not unlike, I'll tell you this, it was snowing when I drew this. Okay. And the other scenes where i'm walking around those comics came out when it was cold okay which is why i'm wearing and i have particular gloves that are good for turning pages <laughs> I, I mean you're walking gloves that's a real thing are yeah those that's the, like, like the real... phone the phone gloves that have the fingertips yeah like driving on gloves, yeah. Phone yeah. gloves. Yeah. <laughs> that's so great so you have your attire that you wear when you're going to go out and read comics while you're walking you're like let me get these blue exactly. gloves <laughs> Yeah, the rough sketches for these pages, there's a fireplace in that last panel, but it was just too much, so Mm. I got rid of it. Right. That is so cool that basically Scott Alley also contributed to some of the writing, too, by putting that little line at the end. So what was the reception when this one came out? What was the kind of feedback that you got from the creative team and from the readers? Same. Scott had already started talking about how much he liked having, like, he said there's no real there's not really a comic out there where like there's this meta experience where a fan is like kind of talking about comics or critiquing stories or how they're told and so he and i started just talking about that on a regular basis just the concept right and so that was fun somebody wrote in before the end of this arc that disappeared in somebody wrote in to say they want to see a whole a whole comic done by me and i yes. was like yes, two let's go right <laughs> I don't, you know, maybe my stuff is better, like, fan-based niche or something like that, which is fine. So I had already been offered another one before uh, this published. Oh, nice. Okay, so you knew that they liked it. Yeah, that is so yeah. awesome. It was fun. This was a fun one. You know, it's flattering to have somebody want to buy your original art. The only other thing I would say about it is I tried to put Voar in every single panel. Cute. Oh, yeah. But there's, like, three that she's not in. But otherwise, I drew her as much as possible because I was like, when am I going to get this chance again? I was just looking at this and I, I just struck me that this panel where she's like being super intimidating in demon form, like she's in front of the demon form and then the dolly's in front of her. Yeah. That's really cute. It's almost like, like a like nesting that. doll It's really thing. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> I love it. 
Oh, I like yeah, that one too because you know you also say uh, one third of a trinity, and so you get the doll, the little dolly, Papar, uh, and the demon form. Oh, but yeah. then the two the two demons in the foreground there are so lovingly rendered as yeah. well. It's just a really great panel, and so yeah. Well, I thought they were gonna tell me not to do that. That's oh. one of those little things that I just kind of slipped in there. I love and, it. Uh, it's fantastic. And I, I thought for sure I was like, all right, this is borderline corny. No, it looks great. I think it's. I think it's great. The way it, it, it fits the tone yeah. of, of the whole thing. Um, I think, especially because you you made such a point of the doll, like that that would be in that panel is is very fitting. It's perfect. Um, I was curious um, when we were talking about earlier how many people own some of your work. Like we're very, yeah. you know, I feel very lucky to have these pages that we have. And then you were saying um, Ryan Yule. Ryan Yule has uh, these pages, and so who all has? Your work. Jerry Turnbull, Jerry Turnbull has another great story that we'll get to. And then one of the Buff Raffle winners got one of the pages. Oh, yeah, yeah, And yeah, then that's so right, that's right. do you still have that last page left, Matt? Yeah, that was page two of a uh, two-pager, and I still have the first one. Okay. Is there uh, anything else that you're putting out there right now that you're that you're selling right now? Is there a place where people can find your work for sale? No, I'm not. No, no I'm no. not. I'm not selling anything. I did sell a bunch of those uh, prints. That I remember, I did a commission for Ryan yeah, that's Yule great. and yeah. then made prints out of them and sold a bunch of those. I could basically take orders for those anytime, I guess. What's your favorite place online where people can find you? The majority of the stuff that I've done is on my website, matchtrackline.weebly.com. Um, I put a whole bunch of stuff on Twitter as frequently as possible. And then Instagram's like a mix of work and personal stuff. But um, my website's really the central The website, place. And okay. If you, yeah, and if you just Google Match Track Mine, you'll find everything I've done. I, I really like Instagram just because of the ease of use. Right. It's like the easiest platform to use, I think. And so people can yeah. just message you if they're interested in one of those Mignolaverse prints that you did. Um, they can just email you. Commission, or... whatever they want. Yeah, you can always email me. And feel free to email me at theletterhack at gmail.com. Awesome. And there's still one more page out there, people. So yeah, somebody jump on that. All right, excellent. I was glad that we could cover that. And now for our next story, we're going to talk about BPRD Hell on Earth Cometh the Hour, Issues 1 and 2. These issues were published in July and August 2016 as BPRD Issues 143 and 144. Written by Mignola and Arcudi, art by Lawrence Campbell, Colors by Dave Stewart, letters by Clem Robbins, and interconnecting covers by Duncan Figredo. And we'll talk more about the interconnecting covers in the sketchbook on next week's episode. This cover with Liz is truly awesome. I really enjoy that, and I always love when Duncan Figredo gets to do the covers. He just has a style in the way that he draws the characters that I really enjoy and respond to. I remember the first time that he did that little, it was like this little epilogue, and he drew Liz, Kate, and Abe. You know, and they were getting that yeah. uh, that postcard from Hellboy or whatever. I really love that. So I always love whenever he gets to draw the BPRD guys. Can I just say it's so hard to admit that her on her right hand, the little the burst of light that's coming out of the burst of flames or light or whatever that is. It's so difficult to get that to look right. One slight misstep in that it just absolutely does not look right. Mm. And it like if you if the lines aren't completely straight. Or if they're not going out from the center exactly of where the center of the thing should, the burst should be, 
it just doesn't look right. The whole thing looks fucked up. So I every time I see something like that, like a burst of light, I have such a deep yeah, appreciation the for details, the fact yeah. that it actually <laughs> looks right and not completely wrong. The fact that you don't pay attention to it. Is right. Yeah. Like, it, the fact that it doesn't really draw your eye is is an achievement. <laughs> So we open up on this scene with the military. It looks like the general is deploying nukes. He mentions a butterfly valve lock. And that's like one of those ones that you see in the movies where yeah. like they flip up like a red thing. Turn and there's your like a key, sir. Yeah. And launch is enabled. It's out of our hands, the general says. All we can do is pray that our programming of the target was accurate. It does not get any heavier. Yeah. Than like for the opening of a book to be this. I know. Immediate. Yeah. Stress and anxiety, like, times 8,000 billion percent. It's just, like, the worst possible scenario. For me, like, I'm, you know, this yes. is, for me, this is, like, the worst possible fucking way. <laughs> and we see, like, well, and- we see, like, nine nukes, like, all flying uh, together at the same time. Hell no. And you gotta think of where we left off. Yeah. With Kate and Devon talking about how, like, well, don't tell everyone the bad news yet, but. We didn't do anything to that thing. It's still out there. Right. Yeah. Right. And and so as the reader, we're left thinking, how the hell are they going to do it? Yeah. What are they going to do? Right. But then months went by before the next arc. Yes. This is, is the, this is the highest drama. Oh, yeah. It could, this is yeah. as high as it gets. Pray that our programming of the target settings on the missiles was accurate. Pray that we've launched enough power against that monster to stop it. Pray that God's even listening to us anymore. And we get this incredible, super scary splash page from Lawrence Campbell as nine nuclear missiles fly towards an impact on the Agra Jihad. It's very cinematic. Incredibly cinematic. Like this is what this is this is the storyboard, the detailed, obviously beautifully rendered and beautifully painted storyboard. For an actual movie, like right. this is what it, you know what I mean. This is the camera angles and the everything like that. It's just fantastic. Oh yeah, I mean, if this were our Sunday night fix right now, like on HBO or something, yeah, you would turn on, you'd be like, all right, new episode, yeah, and start yeah. with this, and yeah, you'd be like, oh my god, this, this is, is yeah, they're yeah. jumping right in. It's like watching a movie. <laughs> and then we see this enormous mushroom cloud Ugh. after the explosion, and so I was trying to think about this. Most of these missiles carry a nuclear warhead, and so if they're each carrying one, that would be about 10,800,000 pounds of TNT, that explosion wow. there. But sometimes they carry two warheads in one missile, so if it's more than that, then I don't even know. So bringing it back down just for a second, <laughs> um, one of my favorite scenes in any movie ever is in Independence Day where they're fucking detonating nuclear bombs over Houston and they're they're all like, Woo, we did it, woohoo and they're like, uh and then there's one guy in the control room that's like, has the target been destroyed he wants confirmation they're like oh we can't get a visual hold right, on and yeah. so down at last this whole scene just reminds me of that scene where he's like he's like has the target been destroyed he goes negative target remains yeah i repeat target remains it's just the most <laughs> incredible delivery of any line and everybody is just like oh no we fucking detonated nukes over Houston for no reason. I can't believe it. And so this is just the same energy here yeah. where everyone's just like, check it, but just make sure. And then they're like, oh, no, we failed. He's still, sorry, this monster is like still honking around. Like, yeah. I'm sorry, just like, I know that that's not the tone of it, but for, 
you know, so I'm such a fucking 90s kid that that's the immediately where I went to. <laughs> and yeah, so they wait for the drone to get a visual and we see the Ogdrija had roaring, seemingly unaffected by the blast. Why, Lord? Why, the general says as he puts his head in his hands. This guy's just honking around like, oh, that was that, that tickles. It feels nice. Right. <laughs> it's a nice little sensation there. So after all that, we immediately cut to this very picturesque scene. And so they've done this a couple times. The juxtaposition of that yeah. is so jarring. Yeah. And it's so beautiful and it's an gorgeous. unusual color palette for this series. And yeah. we just see a it's a silent page of just this beautiful plain and this mountainside and all these deer eating grass. The horror like and the that. terror of that previous scene and then the just gorgeous idyllic the the peaceful feeling that you get from this page the juxtaposition is just so very jarring yeah i'm not sure this is supposed to be colorado i don't think it is but that's the timber line that i was talking about yeah yeah Yeah. Yeah. that's perfect example right there and suddenly the deer are frightened off by a dog that's running and barking after them and so we see johan he's in the human form And he calls the dog Storm, and he gets some licks and some hugs, and he says, why did he bring a ball if the dog is just going to chase after the deer? The dog's demeanor seems more like he's running to go play rather than he's running to go like attack them. He seems like a goofy, fun, like, oh, other dogs. Let me go play with those other dogs. Right. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Johan's body language is all laughing. He's like, oh, I wanted to bring the ball if you're going to chase the deer. Yeah, yeah. It's super cute. (laughs) This is the best you can do. And so we see Redding is there with him. I'm starting to get annoyed by Redding. What a a downer. What a bummer. We're out here enjoying. Can you just shut up? (laughs) Like, what a nag. He's like, you're doing it wrong. There's more to this. You're not right. Everything you're doing is wrong. To the mysteries of the universe. Like, and he's just like, can you let me enjoy it? Remember my half cock theory that the same thing is happening to the lobster and we just don't know it? If sure. it is, you can see why he's like so angry and feeling <laughs> <laughs> cold all the time, right? And, yeah. and yep. it's so brutal. It's like, oh my God, this would drive me yeah. over the wall. I wouldn't be able to deal with this. <laughs> and Redding tells Johan it's depressing and childish. Some Austrian mountainside getaway out of the sound of music. He gives him an actually, too. Yeah. (laughs) You're not only still shackled to the material Earth, you're stuck in some deluded fantasy of what you think life on Earth is, or what it should be. If you can't even see the reality of your life as it was, how will you ever see the reality of your existence as it is? The infinite is yours, Johan. When you accept that, you won't need to dream of peace. You will be peace. And so Johan, in the fantasy, he just ignores him and he keeps throwing the ball and laughing at the dog. It's really very chilling the degree of which he almost like maybe is willfully cannot hear him or something. It's it's not even like he's trying to... Because if you're trying to ignore someone being annoying, you still have like an annoyed look on your face. You're still like... You know, but he's... It's almost like he does not hear him. I think Redding is in his subconscious. Sure. I don't think. Yeah. Because yeah. I don't think Johan is like if you see what he's doing in the sledgehammer armor at the same time. I don't think he's having like a daydream while right. he's doing that. Right. I think that's in like what would you call it the recesses of his mind where he always has like an ongoing i idea right. Like, right fantasy or something like that. 
And it's I, not unlike his buddy, his Russian buddy, Yosef. Right. They kind of have yeah. like the same yeah. Oh, wow. You know? What a great parallel. I took it as this is that alternate place that he went when he was like kind of in limbo land. Mm. Oh, I, I feel like Redding is poking around now. I feel uh, like he's interesting. He's trespassing, okay. which is also irritating. Cool. No, he's I like dig always it. Always there. Get out of here. <laughs> or maybe that's his own. Like you're saying, like that's his own psyche. He's at war with himself. Like, oh, I should be doing. Yeah. This is the work I should be doing. I should be working on myself deep down. But deep down inside, he's still hanging on to this. You know, kind of this little treasure in his heart that right. he goes to sometimes when he needs comfort. I kind of took it as like this is an alternate reality but the symbolism the symbolism is so much it gives you so much more to work with thank you for that that's that's i like that and they also mentioned the sound of music so of course i gotta include a little blurb about that it's a 1965 american musical drama film produced and directed by robert weiss and starring julie andrews and christopher Plummer. it's based on a stage musical and it's based on the memoir the story of the trap family sisters by maria von trapp the film is about a young Austrian postulant in Salzburg, Austria in 1938 who was sent to the villa of a retired naval officer and widower to be governess to his seven children. After bringing love and music into their lives of the family, she marries the officer and together with the children, they find a way to survive the loss of their homeland to the Nazis. And all that's from Wikipedia. But we did get that scene where Johan was um, in the warning after the city that he grew up in is destroyed. You know, he lets all his ectoplasm out and he sees all the ghosts out there. And so that kind of made me think of that, too. Like maybe he's thinking back to his homeland or where he grew up or something like that. Referring to the scene where Johan is in the armor and playing with the dog and all that. I was going to say, I took it as the armor is kind of, uh, you know, how like when you're in the armor, you see that cosmic space thing. Yeah. And I feel like Johan is becoming like sucked in, drawn into the comfort or the fantasy. Because you know how like, I took know, that like, like got, that. To, yeah. Yeah. When he like when he was in the body of the big buff dude, he started indulging in all that. And, you know, Johan, you know, I think he just really kind of wants that idyllic life. So even while outside, he's destroying this Andrew uh, him inside. He's playing ball with the dog his mind is elsewhere right and you'll even see like he'll bring up something like what does this what does it all mean later so you can start to see that maybe reading is getting to him a little bit yeah, yeah. that is so interesting aubrey because now that i think of it and we've talked about this when we first saw that other realm you know first it was just space yeah then when we saw it again it was like planets and then we saw it again and they were like trees forming it's and stuff like more that so, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's really that's Focused a good point i love that Although Reddit is being annoying. <laughs> I will agree with you there, man. <laughs> I, I, I took it as like this is an actual other space right. that he yeah. st- like simultaneously occupies. And so like maybe that's making him a little weird because he can be occupying all these realities at once. And so what would that do to a person? And anyway, that's just kind of where I went with yeah. it. But yeah, I mean like – for it to be a symbolic thing is, of course, the most ob- like I that's that's probably the correct interpretation. I just kind of took it to a weird place because that's what I do. <laughs> and <laughs> and like Aubrey said, he's actually in the sledgehammer armor, destroying Ogdruham with the Vril energy alongside Liz. 
And so we cut over from that idyllic scene to this horrible scene of this giant monster that they're trying to kill. Snip, snap, snip, snap. (laughs) And can I just say before we move on from this this mountain scene, uh, just like in the top right panel where he's like, oh, you're in Sound of Music, you're pathetic. His hand, the, the, the almost effortless lessness of that the way that Lawrence Campbell draws hands and gestures and stuff like that shit is hard it takes so many years of drawing people and gestures to yeah. be able to make it look so natural and so I'm really find myself appreciating just like things like the way that the hands and arms are drawn is just so anyway so yeah well I mean he can draw a Victorian submarine being crashed underwater yeah, so yeah. yeah he can do anything I'm just saying hands are hard <laughs> And the way that it's almost just like, it's like a blob, it's like a shape, but you know it's his hand, yeah. and you know it's supposed to be in that exact pose, because that's what it would look like naturally, but you don't think about it, and that's how you can tell someone did it right, is if you're not actually thinking about it. Yeah, and we get more incredible work by Campbell and Stewart on this awful hell on earth scene. That's another one Liz says, Johan says, they've killed one. Only one. And we reveal a city full of Ogdruhem towering above. And just like we talked about last week, you know, Campbell pulls way back to show the sheer enormity Uh. of the situation. And it isn't as it was before, Johan says. Not one of merely dozens, because this time there is no end to them. A legion of monsters born every day. And so here, another outstanding and fear-inducing double splash by Campbell. We see the Ogdrujahad roar, and as he does that, he spews out these Ogdruhem mucus things that immediately land and start growing into full-size Ogdruhem. Tadpole monsters. I was going to say tadpoles, yeah. Yeah, but it's like instantaneous, like they're, they're automatically just start becoming gigantic monsters. Yeah. As they hit the ground. Yeah. yeah. And that's like, that just hits you in the pit of your stomach. Yeah. You're just like, oh, there's just more and they're coming out all the time. And, you know, it just really uh, makes us feel hopeless about this whole situation. Yeah. It's really, it, it starts sinking in that this is. Right. This is not going to go back. This is just going to get worse. When I saw this page, I was like, holy shit. This is like one of the most terrifying things yeah. we've seen. And just him spewing out those under him out of his mouth. I was like, oh, man. Yeah. (laughs) And it's almost like after they killed the Black Flame, this thing got totally unleashed. You know what I mean? Like it's almost going crazier now that the Black Flame doesn't have control over it, you know, which they, right. they, they never could have anticipated that would happen. But it's just like they can't win for losing. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, on a more technical note, you can really tell that the the main monster design, the Audrey Jihad design, was really important to Mike Mignola, Scott Alley, whoever it is that's, you know, it was really important because it, it really looks very specific. It looks like a Mignola yeah. art. It looks like a Mignola design. It looks like Mignola came in and drew that guy. Like, it, you can tell that this it was really meant to be a very specific design, and, and they wanted to keep it to that design and so i just really yeah, like that you know the island hellboy the island yeah. is a great companion piece to come at the hour oh. just for like research and also visuals nice i have to go back and look at that they kept that really tight and they kind of i feel like they gave um lawrence campbell a little more just whatever freedom draw whatever yeah you know scary monsters you want but this one has to be like this yeah and so that's i like that that's neat it's it's a very collaborative 
What's the point, Elizabeth? Johan asks. Liz says, the point is that they can stop them. The BPRD headquarters is the only chance they have to kill that mountain of hell. As long as they can buy them some time, they'll keep doing this. One at a time, two at a time. We're going to keep killing these things, Liz exclaims. Yes, of course, Johan says. Ah, but he's not all there. And within the helmet, we can see Johan and the dog Storm on the pasture. I like that effect, too, as it like zooms in and we can kind of see that that little fantasy thing is still going on. I like how Liz is just, she's got blinders on. She's not thinking about anything else. She's like, it doesn't matter that there's more of them than we can possibly. It doesn't matter. We're just going to kill them one at a time. We're just going to keep doing it. We're just going to keep doing the work because that's all we can do. We're just going to do it. Just keep going. And he's just like checked out. Well, I like to think it's more like she's just focused in on the work that they need to do. Yeah, exactly. And we cut over to the BPRD headquarters And we see Kate standing outside. It's really beautiful work on here on these panels. And it looks like it's snowing. But then Panya comes out and she says that it's actually ash. And she chastises Kate for being out in it. Kate says they've launched every ICBM at the thing. Enough to wipe Rhode Island off the earth. And it's still coming at us. And so I mentioned earlier about those warheads. An ICBM is an intercontinental ballistic missile, a guided ballistic missile with a minimum range of 5,500 kilometers or 3,400 miles, primarily designed for nuclear weapons delivery, delivering one or more thermonuclear warheads. And so that's why I said I didn't know if there was one or more within each missile. But anyway, I'm the type of person that has to look up all that stuff. Kate says... That the Agdru Jihad is only 150 miles away now. And Panya comes out with marbles and bruiser. She says it's time for them to evacuate. Everyone's off at combat missions anyway. Even dear Phoenix is firing a gun. Not the best use of her talents, but we no longer need her to predict the future, do we, Panya asks. And so we see Phoenix, and she's with who I assume is Nichols and Jiroko. And they're blasting away at some hammerheads. Panya says, Kate keeps brushing her off, but they could evacuate in one afternoon. But Kate is too connected to the place. She says, the HQ was made to withstand a nuclear hit. It's their stronghold. This is where we stand. We have to. If we lose here, we lose everything, she says. Panya says they can still save their lives. If they stay, maybe all will be lost. But Kate doesn't want to think about it. But Panya says she has to. If the complex survives, they can come back. But if it doesn't... And then Kate interrupts as they walk inside. She's asking, how come Devon isn't watching the monitors? Panya says she dismissed him. And he can't do anything watching the screens anyway. He's likely in the gym. The exercise helps him sleep, she says. And we see Devon working out. He also mentioned in the last story that he couldn't sleep. Remember, he tried to go get drugs from Doris. And so, like, Kate here is, the situation is deteriorating so quickly. She's trying to keep the the new status quo up, which is so different from the old status quo, but she can't even keep that together. And she's she's just like, I can't, I gotta keep this all together. What are you doing? And Pony's just like, there's no, it's it's over. Right. There's no more time for that anymore. You can't. And so, like, Panya's on this scale that she can kind of see everything and kate is on this kind of smaller scale that she's still even now trying to be the one keeping it together and so this is slowly building towards this realization it's just so well done on a side note i like how the way lawrence campbell draws bruiser 
and he walk in, and then he's like he standing next to Fania, <laughs> and then on the last panel, he's all plopped down on the ground. I like, didn't I'm notice take a little that. Nap here. That's great, yeah. yeah. And Panya tells Kate that she should try sleeping too. Christ, Panya, I need somebody here. Kate says, what if Yosef calls? And Panya says if he did, there would be a recording of it. But Yosef is gone, missing for over a week. His colleagues can't find him, and they're former KGB. And so KGB, I can't pronounce what it stands for, but it translates to the Committee for State Security. It was the main security agency for the Soviet Union from 1954 until its breakup in 1991. And a Time magazine article in 1983 reported that the KGB was the world's most effective information gathering organization. Viva ask the questions. Yes. <laughs> and so I like that uh, Panya's like, and they can't even find him. Yeah. But I like how Panya is poking, is just very steadily poking holes in all of the reason Kate is giving that she's yeah. like, but we're doing the thing that we do. And she's like, there's no reason for you to be doing any of this anymore. And it's like, it's just so yeah. brutal to see that. It's so brutal. She's like, there'd be a record of his call, but there is none. Is there? Because he's not th like this. This is all gone now. And for that's it's really hitting Kate now. And that's. I just love this interaction between Ponya and Kate. I yeah. love, I, that's why I love these books, man. It's because you get stuff like this. You get, there's not the token lady. There's just like, it's all these people who right. are coming together and their dynamics are so wonderful. It's really fantastic. You get real actual storytelling with these characters. Yeah, when, exactly. When she, when she said nowhere, he's nowhere, Kate. Yeah. That reminded me of nowhere, nothing, never. Yeah. Uh, same here. You know, he's got that, like, kind of connection with Johan, and they show, like, a ghostly image of him in the background on that panel. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's a good point. Like, what's like a, why, why would they show that? You know? Right, and, and we know who he is. Yeah, and we know also that the way that the last story left off is he had just freed Ravara, and she was like, "Oh, you know, we have some work to do," and then it just kind of ended there. So you're kind of left going like, "Oh, well, now they're saying he's been gone for weeks. You know, where is he? What's going on with that?" And we'll see that shortly. But Panya says Yosef isn't coming back, but she isn't alone. Liz and Johan still fight, and I'm here. Panya says, "Please listen to me." Oh, God, Kate crumbles against the console. I can't do this anymore. I can't. And so we pan way out. We had a, we had a pan out kind of like this when Phoenix was in the coma, too, where it's just like this panel with no background or no color, but we just see the shapes there. It's just very emotional and affecting. And we also see Bruiser got back up, too. Um, you know, how animals can kind of sense yeah. stuff like that, too. So I like that little detail as well. Really heavy emotional beat here. And the strong backbone of the whole gang has finally crumbled. And that, more yeah. than anything, like we've seen these huge pages of nuclear bombs and thousands of monsters and it's it's scary, but then this really signifies like, okay, fuck. Seeing Kate We are in trouble. Like, yeah. Because she was always the point. one yeah. standing strong like, nah, we're going to keep it... All right, I'm going to keep it together. I guess I'm going to fucking do all... She's always the one who's like, no matter what, yeah. I'm going to keep working. I'm going to keep at it. And so she's she's just like, I can't fucking do this. That's super scary. Great point. Do you think she's thinking that uh, maybe she should have taken Alice up on that offer? <laughs> oh, right. Wow, Jeez. yeah. Heavy stuff. The PPRD logo does jump around from sleeve to sleeve. Like, 
sometimes it's on the right sleeve, sometimes it's on the left sleeve. You know, they'll show three agents in one panel, and that logo is on a different sleeve. But and what... then I was thinking, oh, it's on both sleeves. Yeah. In this case, right? Like, they always, like, <laughs> you rarely see them both. So that's just a little thing. Like, there's obviously some kind of a style guide. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do but see. But Hellboy only she... has it on one. Right, as Kate's walking in through the door, as we see that it's, we can barely see that it's on both sleeves. Yeah, yeah. and so we cut over to Yosef. He walks among these dead trees with Vavara, and this black great cormorant flies overhead. This bird is also known as the black shag in New Zealand. It is a widespread member of the cormorant family of seabirds. And so we'll track this bird as we go along. I just wanted to point that out. He does a great job with the cormorant. You can you can easily tell it's very obviously cormorant. Yeah. Which is... And Yosef is puzzled as he walks. He says, this is not as he imagined. Vavara says, we're not really there yet, Director Nacheco. Or do I call you Yosef? Which one is better, she asks. <laughs> and I like how she's like gesturing with her dress as she's walking and stuff like that. Yosef asks if he's even physically there. And Vivara, she tells him to be quiet. And then we see some of these little demon guys sniffing around. We've seen these guys in the Hellboy stories, such as the Wild Hunt. Remember, Hellboy promised one of these little guys that he would remember him when he comes into his kingdom. And then the little guy helped him to beat Alegos. We also saw them in Cold Day in Hell. While the radio tower was down, Vivara was able to bring some of these guys to Earth and make them look like humans in order to kill Yosef and Jeroko. I've said this before, but I want to reiterate how appreciative I am that Vivara looks like a little kid. I've seen some artists draw children as though they were just like smaller adults and the proportions are wrong and it looks weird and creepy and it's not right and like the face is not right and so like you know her her face and her body all look like she's she looks like a kid like this is you know we're working with an artist that knows what they're doing yeah and even where she <laughs> makes that little sh gesture yeah. to yosef she looks like a little girl doing that all of it all of it looks very appropriate and i love how lawrence campbell draws these demon guys yeah, too they're good. Um, i like his version of them and the little devils they approach vivara they say she reeks of the house of princes they tell her she commands nothing and they're not afraid of her of course not why would you vivara asks you have but to look at me to see i am too tiny to hurt even a fly mm. her eyes glow yellow with black slits her that's demon eyes that's quite a, it's quite an interesting choice of words a fly yeah it is and then but like you said like the demon eyes like the i like that they use the goat eyes for the demon eyes it's fantastic effect and she says i said to look at me Ugh. and the demons recoil and fly away and they're like bah another time <laughs> But I like how this panel where they kind of recoil, so normally we would see that demon Yamyo right. appear behind her, but here all she has to do is make an angry face. Yeah. And they're like, oh shit, I'm not going <laughs> to fuck with this. So I thought that was an interesting choice. Super good. Just the eyes. That's all. That's more what you pictured. Yes, Vivara says to Yosef, little red devils with wings. Maybe now you are not so disappointed. Uh. And she also says it will be more familiar as they get closer. And so as they continue to walk, we see like these flies or bugs. They look like great black wasps. And we reveal that they buzz around this corpse of a demon. 
And so we get this incredible, terrifying page by Campbell of the remains of this monster. There's like scorpions and snakes and stuff. Pretty horrible scene. <laughs> yeah, and we learn that it's Amduzius. Remember, that's the horse-faced demon that we saw Strobel conjure up back in Witchcraft and Demonology. This is also the same demon that was summoned by the Heliopic Brotherhood of Ra until they were interrupted by Ed Gray, and then Ed Gray was dragged down to hell by this demon in Hellboy in Hell. So there, oh, has, yeah. so I, I like how they pick up on this guy too. The black cormorant makes another appearance here. Yeah, it's kind of sitting there on the branch in front of the remains. He was probably killed by the lesser demons along with the other masters. Yes, much more familiar now, Vavara says. She recognizes the dead demon. Then it's true, Yosef says, we are in hell. Am I here in flesh, or have you killed me after all? So dramatic, Vavara responds. All the while, I was imprisoned. How I envied you, Amduzius, Vavara tells the corpse. But look how things have turned out. And she takes the ring from his finger, and it has that House of the Fly insignia on it. Yeah, or I guess it's an actual fly, right? Uh, yeah, because it buzzes. We saw in Hellboy in Hell, or no, we saw in the Wild Hunt that it buzzes within the ring. Oh, it's some kind of a magic fly, I assume. And then the Wild Hunt, didn't he like punch that one dude's like hand and the ring broke and the fly flew off? Oh, I yeah. think you're right. Yeah, you're right. That did happen. It's like a magic demon fly. But they also reveal here that they're in hell. So did you, when they were walking up in the forest, did you get that already? Yeah, they're or? like making the transition to going into hell. Yeah. I suspected, but when I, when it was confirmed, I got super excited to see Lawrence Campbell draw hell. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I was shocked to find, I was like, wait, are they in hell? And then when they said it, I was like, it's so weird that they didn't give you like a little caption or something. They just kind of like let it happen. But, yeah. But like, then you're like, wait a minute, what? What? <laughs> well, and you start seeing how the little, did they the houses the and hell? stuff. Yeah. And I do want to talk. How did they, how did right. they get there? Yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about. So we saw in Cold Day in Hell that Vivara, even while she was in the jar, she was able to communicate with demons in hell as long as the little thing stopped playing. And then she was able to actually bring them to Earth somehow, you know, because Jiroko had to fight the demons and all this kind of stuff. So she has some sort of power in being able to transport those demons to Earth. So I guess it makes sense that she could transport her and Yosef to there as well. But they don't show how. And I kind of love that, too. I kind of like how they just, they've done this so many times before, but they just drop us into a scene. And then as we read, we have to figure out for ourselves what's going on. I guess in my own little way, in my own head, how I figured it is just like, they probably started walking and, you know, Vavara knew the path to go to take them to hell, whereas everybody else would just be walking in the woods. Ah, okay. Like there's a secret way or there's a secret bridge yeah. between the worlds. I like that. I don't know if anybody's ever read the Chronicles of Amber by Rogers and Lasney, but whenever they the main characters move through worlds in their minds they're like okay so the skies actually needs to be a little bit more blue the ground needs to be a little more greener and so they make these shuttle shifts and if you didn't know what's going on next thing you know you're in a different place wow and you didn't know how you got there i love that yeah. great interpretation ah you see this and vivara takes the ring so long ago i lost my own ring and the king cannot mind can he 
and she slips the ring on. Pretty, yes. And as she turns to Yosef, she's in that demon form. That is such a spectacular image. I love that. It is so fear-inducing where she's a little girl, and then she puts the ring on, she turns around, she's this hulking demon. Is it just me, or does she seem scarier as a little girl? Yes, right? (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And we also see the great cormorant fly off. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Yosef says in Latin. This is the Trinitarian formula referring to the three persons of the Christian Trinity. The way he has his hand on his chest, I almost want to think that he makes the sign of the cross too, maybe as he says it or something like that. He's so terrified by seeing that image. Yes, I thought you would like it, she says. (laughs) Come along, fellow traveler, Vivara says. Our journey is nearly at its end. And again, we see that bird flying along with them. I think this is such an interesting choice that the bird kind of keeps pace with them throughout this little journey. Chapter 2. Another great cover by Duncan Figredo. And in the background, we see all the, the cityscapes of hell. You know, all those buildings that are all kind of cobbled together. And then in the foreground, we see Panya, Marbles the Pelican Monkey... And Professor O'Donnell. And then again, we see that great cormorant flying in the background. Now, you said that these covers are interconnected, right? Yes, and so as we get through them... So you can can see, like, like on the left side of the page, it's like the skyscraper that, you know, was from when Liz was in the air and all that. Oh, yeah. There's the subtle transition. Yeah. It's a neat little transition. This is Manola's hell. It's so cool. It's like, it just makes me think, like, you know, where's Hellboy at? And, and then it makes me think of, like, all the various different reading orders yeah. there are yeah. in this universe and the potential to read them in three or four different ways and still get the story right. But, like, in our reading order, I just assume everyone's like, okay, where's Hellboy right now? Yeah. Right? That's, that's exactly what I was thinking. But then the other thing I like about this cover is Marble's Tale how it's wrapped around the chair oh yeah i thought that was a great detail that is he's really holding on yeah and so i'm glad you mentioned that too because when i was looking at that duncan Fergredo cover for chapter one you know there's all the buildings in new york in the background and to me that looked so much like lawrence campbell and so i was almost thinking like did duncan Fergredo take lawrence campbell's cityscape and just draw over it but when i went back and looked in the sketchbook which uh, we'll save for next week because there's major spoilers in there. No, uh, Duncan Fergredo did draw that, the entire cover. But I wonder if he referenced Lawrence Campbell's cityscape work because it looks so much like the way that he draws it. Just like Matt said, this looks just like Mignola's Hell that we see in the Hellboy in Hell series. Well, they probably have like reference photos and everything that they share back and forth between the different right. artists but even I the do, style you know yeah, yeah even the it's style of it is like it's almost like he's copying that style of lawrence campbell for that specific city and then here he's trying to kind of copy the style of mignola and of course he's not copying anything he's totally having to redraw it but i feel like he's paying tribute to those artists styles which is really well, amazing oh yeah. he's got to be because there's there's some major style influence type stuff like that coming up here Oh, yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. So we open on this amazing page by Campbell and Stewart. We see the eye of the great cormorant. It sits at the bow of a small boat. A hooded figure steers the boat, and as we pan out, we see those sprawling cities of hell, similar to the ones that we saw in Mignola's Hellboy in Hell series. This would have been a dead giveaway if they had shown this in the previous issue. Oh, yeah. Oh, they're in hell. 
right? Yeah. I love that just like seeing these buildings, you know that's hell. Yes. Like if, if you're a Hellboy Universe reader. Oh, I yeah. That was so cool. This also seems to be a reference to Charon and the river Styx. I wanted to talk about this. In Greek mythology, Styx is a deity and a river that forms the boundary between hell and the underworld, often called Hades. The rivers Acheron, Cocytus, Lethe, and Phlegethon, and Styx all converge at the center of the underworld on a great marsh, which is sometimes also called the Styx. And Charon is a ferryman of Hades who carries souls of the newly deceased across the river Styx and Acheron that divided the world of the living from the world of the dead. A coin to pay Charon for passage was sometimes placed in or on the mouth of a dead person. Incredible mood setting as we get into this issue. And I think you also had a... I love love the cormorant here. And um, I don't know if this was the intention. I don't know. We've got kind of a combined image here for me because the image of like you were just describing the boatman ferrying the souls of the dead and all this stuff. But when you add the cormorant, it really just immediately that image reminds me so much of these pictures I saw of these fishermen in Japan and in China where there's this ancient long running tradition of these fishermen use cormorants to go fishing. And when I say that, I don't mean just any cormorant. I mean, they, they make this lifelong bond with a specific bird or a couple of specific birds they they're like we do with our dogs and and stuff like that they make this bond and this trust you know it's this really strong connection between these birds and these fishermen you can read all about this if you go google it and whatever cormorant fishing but it's i watched a, a thing about it and it was really striking that these the way that these guys talked about yeah you know the techniques used and 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 how they have this connection with their birds and all this stuff and so it's kind of a dying art but it's something it's a whole lifestyle yeah they go out with these birds and they go they catch the fish and then they and it's obviously the fishermen benefit from this but the birds do as well because they get the fit like it's a whole you know it's a whole thing that they have going there and so it's just really fascinating and so anyway uh this image really conjured up for me those images that I saw of those fishermen. So we'll have to. Yeah, post you sent some of those you sent me some pictures that yeah. looked almost exactly like yeah, this, yeah. with the fishermen in the back and the bird sitting in the front. I was like, wow, yeah. that's a great reference. So, Makes yeah. me think maybe he's fishing for souls. Oh, I like that. What was that thing earlier? We saw this guy like smelting souls into fish. That's right. And stuff. So that's wow. Kind of great me of connection. That. I love that. Good job. But this page is fantastic. It's an incredible page. Yeah. Yosef and Vivara walk through these empty streets of hell, and Yosef notes how quiet it is. He asks what they get from this place that's useful. Vivara says nothing, but out there across the water, there we will have something, I think. Pandemonium, the center of hell, Yosef says. And so, as they look on the, off in the distance, we see, you know, normally we would see the city standing in the middle of the lake, but now it's that's just, just like fire, fire and yeah. smoke and stuff like that. Yosef says, nothing here is expected. Dante describes Satan in the last circle of hell as being surrounded by titans and giants in chains, but there's nothing out here, only the island. (laughs) Of course, he's referring to Dante's Inferno, the first part of Italian writer Dante Alighieri's 14th century epic poem, The Divine Comedy. It is followed by Purgatorio and Paradiso. The Inferno tells the journey of Dante through hell, guided by the ancient Roman poet Virgil. 
In the poem, hell is depicted as nine concentric circles of torment located within the earth. It is the realm of those who have rejected spiritual values by yielding to bestial appetites or violence, or by perverting the human intellect to fraud or malice against their fellow men. What would that lovesick Italian know about hell, Vivara ass? <laughs> so good. It's such a good line. What would I love you, it. What would you know about love or the tortures it can bring, Yosef ass? He says Vivara took away his Polina to get that stolen relic and die and be brought back as a monster. I, if, I like this delicate little. It's so delicate. This oh, the little image of, of Polina that. that's in the yeah that he thinks about. Look how his head moves independently of the helmet. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah, you were talking about that. I like yeah, that. like a space suit. And of course, he's referring to Abe Sapien, the Abyssal Plane, which we mentioned earlier. Yosef mentions that he dreams every night that it never happened, and we've seen some of those dreams. In his dream, he's a grandfather, and he fishes on the Volga. Ah, you want to fish the Volga, Vivara ass? It reeks of death and waste. And you would be no grandfather. You would be dead. Truly dead. If not for me, you would be gone and not here to help save your mother, Russia. Yes, what a privilege, Yosef says, looking down, to stroll through hell with you. Man, I like the, the looks on um, uh, Yosef's face and the look of remorse throughout the whole thing, the way that Lawrence Campbell draws him. It's just so excellent. And to juxtapose that, we see Vivara just smiling. And then in this last panel where she's saying, you wouldn't be here if it was for me. Like her little gesture, her little girl gesture right there at the bottom is just like, yeah, so expressive. Yeah. For a moment, Yosef thinks he hears Polina. He asks Vivara what she's done. What could I know? I've been under a jar for nearly 60 years, she responds. And she tells Yosef that forces here will warp him and feed him dark fear. And I love these panels of Yosef's face, too. The way that Lawrence Campbell right, yeah. illustrates him is just so realistic, and it just adds so much expression to him. He's a horrible Frankenstein, but he's got a heart of gold. Yeah. And he sees a figure in the window, and I like how there's like this little muttering, the way that Clem Robbins just does like the nothing speech or whatever. Yeah. And Yosef starts running towards the house. I'm coming, my love, he says, but Vivara calls after him. This is going to be bad. You know where you are, right? Like, yeah. Come on. But he can't help it. He runs through the house. He kicks open the door and he stomps up the stairs and he sees all these like mannequins in these like Victorian outfits or outfits from other time periods. And he's like, oh, this isn't what I saw. But then he sees this ghost of Polina and she's singing a song. She says, I see you in the past come back to life in my dead heart. Remembering a golden time, my heart becomes so warm. Polina, he reaches out to her. Now, I tried to look up this song and I didn't see any, I couldn't find any kind of reference to this song. I even translated the song into Russian and tried to Google that and I couldn't find anything. So if anyone knows what this song is or if it's a real song, I would love to have that uh, sound clip, even if I have to include it in a later episode. So let us know if you know that song. Darling, Yosef reaches out to her, but as he does, the ghost kind of retreats back and i also like this effect that it's like it's not moving but it's just getting further away it's yeah. a very ghostly kind of effect where you see like ghosts just moving without walking you sure. know what yeah, i mean yeah, yeah yeah and as yosef reaches out for her the floor crushes underneath him and he falls through 
And we see those little devil guys again. And they mock him. Come back to me, darling. Polina. There. There, fisherman. There is your catch. And they point to this woman who's sitting at a table. Reel her in, they say. And so Yosef approaches her. And he's like, Polina, my love. How have you come to this? No, I don't want to know. It doesn't matter. It doesn't. But will you come with me? Will you let me take you from this? Will you only come away with me, please? And Yosef kind of kneels at Polina. She's like looking away from him. I will, she says. And we just kind of see the way the panel is cut off. We just see her eyes. And then when we turn the page, she's got a scary, grotesque monster mouth. When my belly is full. And she's holding like the head of a little kid. And he's like, no, no. This is lies. All monstrous lies. Yeah, that is so awful. What a horrific reveal. And I feel like... We talk about how cinematic this is. Like, that's where the jump scare would be. Just awful. And there would be, like, the music beat that goes, and everybody gets scared. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, it's a total nightmare. Can I mention something? If you go back to where those demons are taunting him, saying Paulina, like, in a sing-songy voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had no idea that was going to happen when I showed in in my little two-pager him taunting Bavara with oh, the doll. Oh, yeah. Saying, Kathy, I... It's like a parallel. Uh, I didn't know that was going to happen. That's great. Um, yeah, I just wonder if that influenced that panel. I want to I want to I want to think no that way. it did. Yeah, I want to think that it informed yeah. that. <laughs> That's funny though. And so, I love this how Yosef gets one of the demons and he grabs it out of the sky and just starts smashing it into the ground. But then Yeah, that's classic move on his part, man. That's yeah. what you want him to do. And, oh yeah, definitely. But then as we turn the page, there's nothing really there. Yosef is sitting there in front of a mannequin, and there's just all these leaves all over the ground. And he's just kind so, of left there in that pose. So I like how this, uh, like, when he first bursts into the place, it's like a, like the house is all filled with mannequins. And then as we pull out from this scene, we see it's just a mannequin in a chair. I kind of like the thought that in this hell, they use mannequins for their torture purposes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's like, these are our props. It's all a stage. It's all fake. But we're going to torture you with it anyway. And you're basically torturing yourself anyway because you're reinforcing all of that in your mind. Yeah. Uh, But I just really like that that, that nice little detail that uh, they use props in hell. Yeah, no. Well, Aubrey, (laughs) that jogs my memory to think of all the puppet shows we've seen Uh in hell as well. Yeah. And whenever we see those puppet shows, they're kind of telling some allegory or something like that about real life. And um, I thought of that too. That I, is so I also great. Thought about, yeah. Remember when Edward Gray, who ended up on the shores of Acheron, the river that you mentioned earlier, oh, yeah. when mm-hmm. those demons there found him, they like sewed him back together. So they're like handy little crafts, yeah. right? Yeah. They have like needle and thread around, and they're like, oh, we can patch this guy up. Yeah. Oh, and give him give him a mask while we're at it. <laughs> exactly. He's got plenty of like stage props laying around. Yeah. That's great. I love that theme. It's also like waiting to be the next horrible thing for him. Yeah. And he's just sitting there. Yeah. And he's just like, come on, let's get out of here. Yeah. We don't need this. We don't need to spend time wallowing in this at all. If I could just get personal for a second, I have the, the, when it's time for me to go to bed, I can't because all of a sudden my brain is like. No, let's think of everything horrible we possibly can. And that's sort of this, like, it's like a nightmare disorder. It's like a waking nightmare thing that happens where I just torture myself with this, like, let's think of all the bad things. And then I have to, like, get up and walk around the house and go find John and be like, 
hey, I can't stop thinking about bad stuff. Yeah. And I have to like do something else for a while until I get tired enough to where I can actually fall asleep. And it's just this horrible. And so that really hit home for me. Like it really reminded me of the, like this is such a literal go into a house where you can torture yourself with all the horrible stuff. Like you don't need to do that. And right. so when she, it's almost like a tender moment where Vivara is like, I know I spent a long time torturing you, but even I don't want to see this. Right. Let me take your hand. Let's come on. Let's get out of here. Let's yeah, let's go yeah. away from here. And so I really I really like that moment. It had a kind of a personal touch for me, I think. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that. I like how she takes his hand. Yeah. I thought that, that was an interesting choice where she's like, Come now, come away, and she leads him by the hand. And so this last panel, they're walking off together hand in yeah. hand. This hulking Frankenstein and this little girl. Yeah, it's really yeah, it's really touching. I also like how um, hell will fuck with you even if you're not supposed to be there. Yeah. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. That's what it does. <laughs> one thing that I had also noted is what an amazing character Yosef has become. He's so sympathetic and torturous for being a dead guy, yeah. essentially. You know what I mean? He's basically should be an emotionless Frankenstein, but he's one of the most emotional persons. Like he had revenge on Johan, you know, for uh, against Marsden. You know what I mean? And he kills Marsden, you know, to get revenge for his friend. And then when he sees Johan and lives. You know, he's so happy to see yeah. him and he fully embraces Johan and all this kind of stuff. And so yeah. for, for a dead guy, he's one of the most heavy hearted people in this whole series. To add to that, he also dreams of his life that would have been. Uh-huh. Yeah. 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 He doesn't Constantly. dream. Of, he doesn't dream of power. He dreams of, you know, his wife and kids. Just having a, a nice day on eating, the river. Yeah. Eating fish croquettes or something <laughs> like that. Yeah. Yeah. I like when they come to the dock, the boatman and the cormorant are there to greet them and then the cormorants he's almost like hey guys yeah he kind of flaps his wings vavara tells yosef that he needs to forget all that they still have important things to do forget about it and let's go for a ride and we see the cormorant fly off and i love how it it, again it's so cinematic because the, the bird flies off we see it fly up into the air. We see the boat in the distance with Vivara and Yosef. And then we see the bird transition into where they're going. Amazing. Pandemonium on fire. Great work. And the color palette totally shifts too. But this bird is kind of tracking that journey for us. Love which it. Just really lovely. Yeah. Yeah. When uh, I saw this bottom panel, I was just like, I got super excited because getting to see Lawrence Campbell's take on Mignola as hell yeah. is amazing. Well, and that's where they're going. So like the corm- like while the cormorant is in the air, he's kind of flying with the boat. Yeah. A little bit so like you can tell like that's where they're going. It's it's yeah, like you said, the transition is really well done. Over at the BPRD headquarters, Kate has started the evacuation and it looks like she's talking to Manning. We haven't seen <laughs> this dude since the UN took over at the end of King of Fear. Did we ever cast him? Right. Now, I don't know. Did we ever cast Manning? I mean, I thought I I liked um, Jeffrey Tambor oh, in the yeah. movies as Manning. Yeah. I, I kind of liked that casting. Do you have an alternate? There's so many character actors that I just love <laughs> that it would be easy for me to just pick one of them and plop him in there. But yeah. I... What about like, uh, was it Greg Clark or Clark Gregg, you know, the guy that plays Coulson? Oh, oh on yeah. S.H.I.E.L.D.? Yeah, he would be a good yeah. Manning too. Yeah. <laughs> I would like to see him play someone annoying for once. Yeah, because <laughs> I like him in any. I I like him in everything that he's done. Yeah. But like, you know how actors just get this glee in their eye when they're playing someone terrible, like yeah. uh, Chris Evans. Whenever he gets to play a total asshole, oh yeah, is, he does such a good job because I guess he's just excited to do something fucking different for once. Manning, he's telling Kate that they need to move faster. 
The location is so remote, only one chopper can land at a time. Manning says that the thing is well within Colorado's borders now, spitting out monsters as it goes. Oh no, Matt, you gotta evacuate and get out of there. They're gonna drop a Ogdrew Hem on your house. No, I'm long gone. Oh, okay. <laughs> Manning says Liz and Johan can't stay ahead of it. And we get this truly awesome image of them destroying Ogdrew Hem. Jeez. I love how Johan's like grabbing one of the legs as Liz is like, like I feel like he's holding it in place so she can like throw the full fire at yeah. it or something. I felt like he was trying to rip off its leg while she was burning it. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. <laughs> and then we see how close they are to the BPRD headquarters. We see it in the background. Kate says if he wants them to pick up the pace, he needs to send another Chinook. Panya listens nearby with marbles as she talks. The Boeing CH-47 Chinook is an American twin-engine tandem rotor heavy-lift helicopter. The CH-47 is among the heaviest-lifting Western helicopters. Its name Chinook is from the Native American Chinook people mm. of modern-day Washington State. The Chinook possesses several means of loading various cargoes, including multiple doors across the fuselage, a wide loading ramp located near the rear of the fuselage, and a total of three external ventral cargo hooks to carry underslung loads. So that would be what they would need to evacuate all the stuff and all the personnel. Over in Pandemonium, we get more incredible imagery and we just keep focusing on this bird again. We peer into its blue, scary dinosaur eye. <laughs> um, great mood setting there by Lawrence Campbell as we get to Pandemonium. And I like how we get inside. Now Vavara is the one who's surprised. She expected somebody. Princes, earls, knights. She thought they'd be hiding from the anarchy there. Yosef says maybe they are hiding. And Vavara shows him the ring. You forget... I am as they are. They cannot hide from me. Not here in the Citadel of the Fly. This is the shit I want to fucking see. I want to see them go in here with the weird, horrible Mignola statues that have the blood fountains in yeah. the mouth, stomach, yep. and the fucking weird architecture and the I scary. It. It's so fun. Everything is so weird and cool and specific. I just, ah, I love it. Go when ahead. they got to this page with this doorway and the, the fly. Yeah, the citadel of it. the fly. So This good. page and the very next page, I had to pause when I first read, read this comic. I went back to the credit page on the inside front cover and had to see if Manola was sharing art chores. Because right. This yeah. Is, yeah. This is so close to how he... Draw, especially the next page. Which yeah. I don't want to spoil it yet, but the next page, it's like, okay, hold on. Both of these Did they pages. Just get Mike to come in and draw are that. Very Mignola, yeah. yeah. Because yeah. I think part of it, though, is Dave Stewart even starts coloring it like yeah. it is. That's what threw me because Stewart will adapt to the artist. Mm -hmm. And I've heard before that when he gets the pages, He'll call the artist and go, okay, well, here's what I was thinking. What do you think about this? Right. 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 And they'll talk wow. some stuff over. Right. So he's got a different style for Duncan, Lawrence, Patrick, Mike, Ben, whoever's on the book, right? And that Silver and, Surfer thing that you were talking about from what? before. Did he not do that? Never mind. I'm wrong. But then he just shifted over to Manola. He's like, oh, okay. Well, if you're going to draw it that way, I'll color it that way. And that, uh, I think, yeah. 
And I was like, oh, okay, cool. So they're both doing it. But I had to go back and look because these these next couple of panels are very, very close to his style. Yeah. Yeah. It's eerie. Well, they're very core. They're very core panels. Yeah. And I think that the more core it gets, the more they put that kind of on lockdown. And they're like, let's go back to the core material, the source material, which is Mignola. And then, like you're saying, Stewart's you know interpretation of that work and everything and i i wonder if that's when mignola and scott alley step in and say okay we want this specifically here right, for this yeah. scene we want this to be all these other scenes please interpret that however you know that's a little bit more loose but we want to really kind of get this right specifically here and so i wonder if that's what they do because it's like you said like the transition is very clear as we yeah, get to the more core, to fade. yeah yeah, and um, I I put in my notes here. I don't. I just don't know if they've ever trusted anyone to draw this stuff. You know what I mean? Like right. we've seen that Lawrence Campbell can draw anything. I think the trust is there. I just think it's like we have a specific vision for this. We really want to have this impact in a specific way. This is the impact we want to have. This is the storytelling we want to do. Right. Let's all do it together as a team and be more of a solid unit on this. And um, and I was wondering for Aubrey and Danielle, like as a fan, for me, this was awesome too because you see that Hellboy and Hell world and the BPRD world are coming together. Well, this is you the... know what oh, I mean. And yeah. You're just like, oh my god! Like as a fan, when I read this stuff, I was like, oh my god, they're bringing it all together now. This truly is. We are getting to some big stuff the way that they're doing. Well, this, this is a direct consequence of what happened, and it's not often that you see like the stuff that happened in Hellboy and Hell was real really happened and is permanent and stayed that way Yeah. until someone else fucking came along and stumbled across it. And then they have their reaction to that. And it's like you said, like worlds are colliding like that really, you know what I mean? That, that has such an impact. As I was reading it, I was just like, man, just around like a corner, Hellboy's off, like Ah, hanging out in the skull or something. (laughs) (laughs) He's in the little skull jar or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Something like that is going on. Like while all this is going on, it's just like, uh, it's like you guys are just going to miss each other. I'm sure of it because it's a nice tease, but I'm pretty sure we're not getting Hellboy showing up. (laughs) Yeah. No, but I, I, I do remember what you were talking about, Danielle. I'm sorry. So I do want to bring up this really quick sidebar. I don't want to get too far off, but um, lately I've been catching up on my comics. I don't think I talked about it, but... So I didn't make that up. No, yeah. Okay. There's a there's a the Silver Surfer Black. And Silver Surfer Black is a series. It's a five-issue series written by Donny Cates. And the art is by Trad Moore. And Trad Moore is just amazing. Like, his work is just so weird Very and psychedelic. psychedelic yeah. yeah. But the colors are by Dave Stewart. And so... My. The way he adapts his style to that is the, phenomenal. I, I highly recommend, even if it's just for the art, even if you don't get anything out of the story, this is one of those books that you just have to check out. Which, how could you not? It's Silver um, Surfer. Yeah, and I love Silver Surfer, but... Um, the the story was great, but the art was spectacular. It was mind blowing, and part of that is due to Dave Stewart coloring Trad Moore's stuff. Yeah. So anyway, um, that's a if if you're a huge fan of Dave Stewart, which I'm sure everybody is that listens to this show. See for a second, you I want to check that I, out. I, w- I made myself believe that I like dreamt that or made that up. I was like, <laughs> did I dream that Dave Stewart colored a psychedelic Silver Surfer book? I didn't know what you were talking about at first, but yeah. <laughs> And Yosef says, evil doesn't die, even with all of them gone. All but one, Vavara says. 
And as they walk through, and this is what Matt was talking about, we see Hellboy's empty throne, right? This was also shown in the Hellboy in Hell series. So look how mm-hmm. look how he draws it now. He's got really thin lines. He does those little yeah. dashes everywhere, yeah. the little notches. I mean, the shadows the are a lot are more very, solid. Like yeah. He had yeah. just let his style stay with the characters. And what we're looking at could have been Manola coming in just to draw one quick I panel. Wonder, like, right. that yeah. close. It's really unique. I mean, I assume that's challenging for an artist who does everything as detailed and realistic as he does with shadows to suddenly take a real minimalist approach like that. Right. I also by, think, like, by, how by, like, fun. the master yeah. of comic book minimalistic art. <laughs> how fun would that be to have permission and encouragement to do that right. so like please try and almost mimic this for us here and like how fun would that be okay geez yeah, like yeah. i would it's nerve-wracking to think about like ah i hope i interpret this well you know because he's mike Mignol is gonna fucking look at this and yeah <laughs> yosef asks if vivara's plan is really to ask satan for aid haven't you already prayed to the god of abraham vivara asks Hasn't your whole world prayed to that God? And where has it gotten you? Another step closer to the last days. There, Yosef says, you said the words right from the Bible. If these are the last days, then should I fight it? Let the Lord's judgment pass? If, Vivara says, if those are the same last days of your prophecies and not just the last days of everything. You're so eager to surrender now on the word if, Nacheco. No, I've been in prison for too long. I am not ready to see it end. I love Vivara's tenacity I love that. I, She's so yeah. good. And you assume much about what my plans are, Vivara says. That is your mistake. I am too immense for you to predict, too great for you to know. And I will shape the future, she says as she walks down these stairs ahead of Yosef. Why don't I leave, Yosef says to himself. I should run from here. I know I should, but I don't run. I walk deeper and deeper into the inferno. Again, I feel like that's a little reference to Dante's Inferno. Oh, yeah. Well, and then also, like, he's kind of saying out loud what we're about to. It's just, it's so good. Right, It's so good. It's just... We're we already that, know. Yeah. We already know this. It's like this. What's it called? The, the has there's a, even a word for it. It's called the tra- tragic uh, irony or oh, something. Yeah, whatever yeah. you know. Like we know what they're about to go look at. Yeah. And Vivara's face here in the last panel is that maybe the first time we've ever even seen her look upset, frightened, right. worried. Like we, we this, rarely see her show any kind of emotion. Here, yeah. yeah. And here at the bottom panel, we don't see what she's, she's seen, shocked. but she's totally shocked. She holds her hand up to her mouth. Yeah, I was gonna bring up that panel. too. Because this is like this, I do think that's the first time we've ever seen Vivara look like that, and and it's like you said, we already know what she sees. Yeah, but just to see her reaction to what we already know is pretty amazing. <laughs> and also the way that they pace it, because we know, but then we haven't gotten to it yet, so it gives this one little tease before we turn yeah. the page of like, oh shit, you know what I mean? It just, it the way that they yeah. um, give the reader this experience is amazing. And so they reveal Satan dead, his throat slit and covered in blood. And Yosef's like, how? And I like how they whisper to each other. Yeah. Like, what are they whispering for? Well, because it's but it, like but it's the, such yeah. a It's such a dramatic scene, you know what I mean? Yosef says, how can this be possible? 
anything can die, Nacheco, Vavara whispers. I feel like it's not like they're whispering because they're whispering. I feel like it's more like they're so shocked that they just can't get any force behind their voice. Wow. Yeah. I love that. The magnitude of the situation. On the one hand, Satan is real. There he is. Yeah. On the other hand, he's He's dead. dead. Someone fucking killed him. But he's still bleeding. Yeah. Like, if, if I were Yosef, I'd be like, wait, did this, like, just happen? Right. Can we be here right now? Is the guy still here? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, forensic analyst. <laughs> and and again, they give us this huge splash page where they give Lawrence Campbell a whole page to draw this. And so immediately again, it puts us right back in Hellboy and Hell and those stories that we've read. And as a fan, to see these worlds coming together again is such a huge deal and satisfying, but at the same time, super scary. And what the shit is going to happen, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. Totally. Anything can die, Vivara says, even the king of the world. And then she sees the knife. We saw that knife so many times fall down in that memorable clang panel in Hellboy in Hell. And so Vivara picks up the knife. She wipes off some of Satan's blood. She licks it. And then she smiles. Look at the shadows on her face and everything. It's so ominous. Yeah. Yeah. It's really scary. And like the way when her finger drags blood off it, there's like a blank spot on the knife. Yeah. Where she wiped it. You can see the ring. Yeah. It's just, this is bad because I think it's key that she's picking up the knife. You can see that ring on her finger. She was just saying on the previous page how that gives her status right in hell. And it's like, uh oh, can somebody with the ring pick up? Okay, they can pick up the knife. Oh, she's dragging. Oh, she's going to lick the blood. Oh, she's happy about this. Like, that to me is foreboding. Like, yeah. there's something very bad about to happen now. You know, in, in the series, maybe not on the next page, but this is bad. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then so we just cut to Vavara and Yosef. They're back in the boat with the ferryman, and they're going away from pandemonium. All of this, all this pain and loss, the abyss has had me, my soul gashed open empty. But it was worth it, wasn't it, Yosef asks? That dagger, something so potent as that, must have power to help us. What? What did you say? He asked Vivara. And so as they're driving off, Vivara speaks in Italian this passage from Canto 31, the hell chapter of Dante's Inferno. Thus the shore, encompassing the abyss, was turreted with giants, half their length, uprearing horrible, whom Jupiter from heaven yet threatens, when his muttering thunder rolls. And so, I actually looked this up on cliffnotes.com. Dante, in this scene, thinks that he sees a city with many towers in the distance, but Virgil tells him that his eyes deceive him. The towers are actually the giants plugged into the center of the well up to their waist. Indeed, as they grow closer, Dante sees the giants clearly, and at close range, Dante says that nature was wise to discontinue the creation of these monsters. Such a brilliant script because earlier we get a little mention of that. He's like, where are the things that, yeah. that they were supposed to be here? And Rivara's like, ugh. And then she's talking about it. Right. So one of the things she says is whom Jupiter from heaven yet threatens when his muttering thunder rolls. And then we see lightning crash. All the waves start going crazy. Yosef's like, no, I was wrong. He's still alive and angry. That's it, isn't it, Vivara? You never meant to help. You only, oh God. And Vivara, she looks very happy as she looks uh-huh. out into the water. This enormous giant hand bursts out of the water in front of them. 
And on the next page, we get this incredible splash of these three shackled giants emerging. That's one of the scariest, most horrific, just like, ugh unsettling it's unsettling and i love how earlier she said what would that lovesick italian know (laughs) but then here she's actually quoting it and we're getting the sense that all of it does have some relevance yeah 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 i think though this is the hellboy universe and like i said the island makes a great companion piece to Mm -hmm. this particular series come at the hour and i don't know when i got to the end of this issue originally i was like well who are they right (laughs) <laughs> so, of course, I have to go back and read everything. I can't just say, oh, this will be my chance to go read some Dante right? yeah. <laughs> in 30 days. I'll just read you something randomly sort of out of context. OK, so from the island and they were taken up in a whirlwind and cast down some into the pit, others upon the earth to breed monsters. So, you know, okay. the pit, right. I think it's significant. Yeah. The here. pit, yeah. Uh, so we know yeah. that some of the watchers went down into the pit and they're right. in hell. And then here we see these giants getting up out of the water. Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. I love that, Matt. Thanks for including oh, that. Yeah. Really sure. just incredible pages in this yeah. issue. Just amazing. It's so intense. Yeah. Also, I just saw something like going back a couple of pages earlier. There is a mention, they mention like the idea that the knife that was used is some sort of artifact that has some kind of power. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would have to. Right. You know, and so that's something that I'm I'm wondering if that's going to come up. And obviously there's so, a lot of significance yeah. is being given to this knife. Favara's like interacting with it. The blood's still on it. It's very bright. It's not like, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's just a very like she's... The blood has something to do with the blood, has something to do with the knife, there's something going on there, and then they're in the ocean with these giants, and it's just a whole fucking thing. So I'm, there's a lot of lore being thrown yeah. at me, and I'm not sure what to pay attention to first. I, I like, love There's that. just so much. It's I, so I, rich I, with I, I love that you mentioned that, because when we were reading Hellboy in Hell, you know, and we're not done with it yet, but... They refer to that clang panel so many times. Mm-hmm. They show it a couple times. I want to say we've seen it at least yeah. two or three like, times so far where we see the knife fall to the ground and it says clang. So when we see Vavara find it and pick it up, we know exactly what it is. And so, yeah. and maybe we weren't paying attention to that, but it's in our subconscious yes. from reading the material. And then when we pick it up, we go, oh shit, I know what this means. I know what this is. Yeah, yeah I love that. You know, and you, you referenced King of Fear earlier talking about the last time we saw manning and if you just think back to king of fear as being like simpler times right (laughs) and it might it it might not have been when we were actually reading it for the first time but now it totally is so like if you were going to tell your past self a bit of warning for (laughs) for continuing to read these comics you would just say like buckle up because this this gets more dire and darker and more serious and they really are breaking things they can't fix that's like the earth in this case they broke hell they broke the devil right like (laughs) like this pretty hardcore so if you expect it to not end that's one thing but if you expect it to end with a happy ending that's another thing yeah (laughs) and i don't think anything about these comics ever said that anything is a guarantee Right, And so that's what I mean by buckle up and those were simpler times, no matter how drastic the situation seemed at the time. You're like, oh, no, the Black Flame's back. Uh, That's peanuts compared to this (laughs) stuff. Look at what Vavaro picked up the dagger. Like, hello. 
right? Who cares about yeah. the Black Flame? I'm glad he's dead. Don't yes. get me wrong. <laughs> Sick of that guy. Yeah, and so we are going to leave it there. So we're going to pick up next week with Come at the Hour Part 2. You know, So we're kind of leaving you on a little bit of a cliffhanger, but I think these stories are so rich with material and we really want to take our time with this stuff. And this next week is going to be the conclusion to BPRD Hell on Earth. This is it. This is the last story arc of that series. So, man, we are getting to the end of to the end of this run, to the end of a lot of things. We'll talk about it more next week. But oh my God, I never thought that we would get to this point. You know, thinking about it when we first started the show, and now here we are. It's really incredible, and so um, I'm so excited to get to our conclusion next week. I was just thinking about it myself as we were reading the story. It's like, we are about to finish the Hell on Earth omnibus, and it's the last that story. We're also at the end of uh, Ape Sapiens, Dark and Terrible storyline. We're at the end of Hellboy and Hell, and it's just like, holy shit, everything is fucking coming together. I'm super excited. Yeah, <laughs> Mark Tweedo yeah. has done an amazing job of interlinking amazing. the series. And so, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right, Aubrey. We're going to be wrapping up Dark and Terrible and Hellboy in Hell also very soon. And it's going to kind of tie all these things together, as you're already seeing. So, yeah, I can't wait for that. Man, I just have this feeling that after next week, you guys are going to, and we're going to go back and read some Witchfinder, you know, <laughs> keep, you guys, keep you guys guessing. <laughs> i can't wait to listen to all the listener feedback from everybody i hope everyone continues to do well thank you guys so much and now aubrey's gonna say all the things all right everybody share us your thoughts on bprd hell on earth come at the hour and vervara the evil little russian girl (laughs) you can send us a hey damn guys at hellboy book club at gmail.com Follow us on Facebook at Hellboy Book Club Podcast and on Instagram and Twitter at Hellboy Book Club. You can also find all of our resources in our Facebook About section. This week, we want to give a special thanks to the Side Street Steppers for their amazing music. Thank you, guys. It's so fun, and it's also been fun to see you guys perform every night on the Facebook. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Mark Fidel, for this amazing reading order that have put us in this place. It's just like, oh, my God, I'm so excited. Thanks, John, for keeping the podcast going even during the cell quarantine or whatever we're calling this of course yes you can find the podcast on podbean apple podcast spotify wherever you get your podcast from next week we are reading dprd hell on earth cometh the hour part two so you know what to do get your digitals most likely because uh don't go outside uh everybody or pull out your back issues and your trades and your omnis wash your hands and join us next week on the hellboy book club podcast Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. I'm John Salinas. I'm Danielle. And I'm Matt Strackbine. And I'm Aubrey Lovelace saying, did you hear? I said, look at me. Yes. <laughs> awesome. Not as, not as sinister as Favara would say it, but I tried. <laughs> <laughs>